Welcome in, everyone. Welcome to State of the Fish, your weekly Miami Marlins call-in show. Live on Twitter Spaces, we've got Eli, we've got myself. We'll be cycling in some Fish on First members. And, of course, the best part of the show, your questions uh, during the second half. But uh, we'll have Eli and I here, maybe Lewis come in here for a bit. I don't know who's coming tonight, but uh, it's sure to be a fun time. Another winning week. Back to 11 games over 500, how the Marlins started the week. So let's start with that right away with our week in review. Lost two out of three against the Toronto Blue Jays, but of course started off hot with that 11-0 win, got to 11 games over 500 for the first time in quite some time. And uh, I mean, that was just Peak Marlins fandom, some people were talking about on Twitter. I mean, that what a game. Um, just very, very well played from everyone on all sides of the ball. There's really nothing negative you can nitpick from an 11-0 win, although they dropped the next two. Shutout Tuesday, a rare occurrence so far this year, losing a game where they allow four or less runs. It was a two-run game for them, and then lost 6-3 to three on Wednesday, another abysmal Sandy Alcantara start. Just becoming an all-too-familiar sight. Actually, just an abysmal inning. He recovered really, really well. But we're going to cover on anything possible with this rotation, I'm sure, here in a little bit. So, Eli, quick reflection on the Blue Jays series. It's a little bit past us in the rearview mirror. But first series lost for the Marlins in quite some time. But outscored the Blue Jays in the series, yet still lost. But that, that's the best team they've played in quite some time. Um, what, what were your just general thoughts on the series? I think that's accurate. The final part about that being the best team they faced in a while, because this has been such a soft portion of the schedule. You could go back all the way deep into May and you'll struggle to find a team that was like definitively better or more well-rounded than the Blue Jays are. I predicted the Blue Jays to win the series. And so I was kind of floored by that first game, that first game, the 11, nothing blowout was one of the more shocking results that the Marlins have had all year. Uh, we should probably, I want to start with Brian Hoeing. He started twice on this homestands, two games combined and Brian Hoeing didn't give up a run. That to me was the most surprising aspect of this. Even as somebody that does believe in the adjustments that he made, he was the one that got this started on the right foot. And of course he was the one who on Saturday was like just as good against the pirates, him being there, for this Marlins team, as you mentioned with Sandy, where he continues to be an enigma with those one bad innings that get away from him, for Hoeing to kind of step up and now twice in this period of time, and we'll see what he does moving forward to be a big piece now of why this rotation is performing at a great all-round level. That has been a nice surprise. Overall, this was a yeah, this was an interesting homestand. They all they find a way at the very end to have a winning week. But there were some like uncharacteristic missteps by the bullpen. Another bad Tanner Scott outing in here that contributed to that, that first loss against the Blue Jays, and then another one from him against the Pirates as well. So with him, he had such an extended stretch of being amazing, and it was only realistic that he was going to come down to earth at some point, and it kind of came down in a hurry this past week. So he was one of the arguably the least valuable player of this entire previous week for the team. But as it turns out, and honestly how it's been the case for a while, um, this has been a very favorable stretch of the schedule. Even though the Pirates record-wise looked formidable, they found them at the perfect time. They just lost nine in a row and now 12 out of 13. They're in a period where they just do not have any offense to speak of from anywhere. And so this is always 
the complicated part of trying to decipher how much of this is the Marlins just having great arms that are executing and how much of it are the Pirates hitters just not taking advantage of the few mistakes that they get. And the reality is likely somewhere in the middle there. And ultimately, it doesn't matter as much moving forward because a win is a win. And this team has banked far more wins, not even to the halfway point of the season. They've banked 45 wins to this point. Uh, I don't know exactly how they've done it. I think a lot of people feel that they didn't quite earn every single one of those. And frankly, it just doesn't matter moving forward anymore. They've put themselves in such a favorable position. The playoff odds are now reflecting that, where this is a team that at the very least is a coin flip chance of making it into the playoffs just because of how well they've done for the most part in these close games. One thing I, one thing I will say is also hi um, with these, with these, with the pirate series, it's like you see that pirate series coming up and you see that they're losing nine in a row and you're like, all right, this is going to be a stereotypical Marlins are going to blow this series. And you just, you're just, feeling like okay everything's just gonna collapse all you know like something's gonna give and nothing's giving and it's weird they keep winning and it's odd and we don't know how but they keep doing it and guess what wins a win but it's really they've been a really fun team to watch this whole season you know you you bring up a really good point you see it series on the schedule coming up against a pretty or not not even a bad team just a team that's struggling and especially over the last month the marlins they've they've spelled blood in the water that was right you usually see these series on the docket and you're like oh marlins are gonna find a way to let the team get back on track the marlins used to be the ultimate get right team for so many teams that were struggling to get themselves back on track you beat up on the marlins for three games and all of a sudden your season's potentially saved that is the polar opposite this year of, of what's happened. I mean, the, the Marlins are just smelling the blood in the water. They, they say they're here to have a meal. Basically they, they feast on these struggling teams. You saw it with a saw it with the Royals, even did it with the white Sox, um, nationals. Now the pirates, just teams that are really, really struggling. And the, out of all those teams, the pirates are seemingly the best, well-constructed roster, well-managed team, but not right now. They had lost nine in a row, 12 of their last 13, a team that was first in the Central just a few weeks ago. They have plummeted down the fourth. I mean, with the resurgences of the Cubs and the, the Reds and the Brewers have been pretty consistent all season. The, the Pirates are seemingly dead in the water right now. There's a lot of season left to go, but that's a team that's just struggling, and the Marlins caught them at the right time. Um, it's kind of why we say, look, don't look too far ahead on the schedule. You just kind of have to look at teams that uh, just see how they're playing at the time. Really just don't look too much further ahead than about two weeks or so. So we'll recap the Pirates series just briefly because we already hit on it a lot. Three out of four against the Pittsburgh Pirates, a winning series. It's hard to win a four-game set against any team. Still very, very big. And they were a blown save away from sweeping this four-game set. That would have been massive. 12 games above 500 would have been nice. We'll have to wait till Tuesday to get that chance. Garrett Cooper with the go-ahead three-run homer. Complete the late comeback in game one. Took that 1-0 lead into game two. And into the ninth in game two. Blew that lead to lose 3-1. That was an amazing start from Jesus Lozardo. That's been seemingly lost through all this. Seven innings pitch, two hits, zero earned runs. That was only A.J. Puck's second blown save of the year. Game three, one in extras after Tanner Scott blown save. Louisa Rise had the two-run homer. 
that uh, seemingly put shockwaves through Braves Twitter. Uh, it's been a, f- a fun weekend watching that boil over. Uh, John Birdie with the walk-off base hit. And then today, of course, got behind Yeri Perez. Another amazing outing. One, two, nothing, including a Jonathan Davis homer. And then the biggest stat from the weekend, Miami Stellar pitching. All starting pitchers for Miami, 25 innings pitched, one earned run. Without a doubt, the best series from the rotation all year. And such a key part of the year where we discussed last week, this rotation is beat up. The bullpen is starting to get a little bit taxed. This was a very, very big opportunity for the rotation to step up. And, uh, Eli, it really just seems like this rotation starting to click at the right time. Just get Sandy out of the way and let everybody else cook. <laughs> that, that, that was the key to having, as you said, the most incredible starting pitching in a series that they've had this year is just get Sandy out of the way. Let, let the other guys pick up the slack for him. I'll just touch on Brian Hoeing uh, yet again. It's going to be fascinating to see moving forward as they fully stretch him out, whether he can handle things. Um, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yes, thankfully that he performed the way that he did that helped the pod. So selfishly, we're pulling for him to have some good results in, in the near term. Their alternatives just aren't a whole, aren't great at the moment with Edward going down um, just the previous week. And there's no clear indication as to what his return timeline is. He hasn't seemingly made a ton of progress since going on the IL with Cueto performing, Johnny Cueto performing as non-competitively, to put it frankly, as he is during his rehab assignment. They With even Daniel Castano only being stretched out for a single ending at the moment, you could go through the whole list. There's just not really a good fallback plan for the near-term future if somebody like Hoeing doesn't step up and get outs. And for him to do that, that makes a whole lot of difference. It allowed the bullpen to be somewhat fresher for the game's previously in the Pirate Series and then also yesterday as well. It makes a huge difference. It's a reason why they haven't had to make a single transaction on this roster for an entire week. That streak is about to end, but for a good reason. They haven't had to turn through arms like I thought they might have to. And their um, yeah, their lack of fallback plans in the rotation hasn't been exposed yet. Hasn't been exposed quite yet. Um, at a time, I think just a week ago, or I should say just during this past week, I've been like toying around with the idea of having to trade for a starting pitcher to sure things up. And when you see in this hoeing perform the way that he has been, as long as like and of course with Yuri being even better than we could have dreamed of. Like all of a sudden, you don't feel boxed into that corner quite yet. They still have a long time to deliberate on that and, and see what to do next. They have the rotation is in a good spot at this particular moment. They are going to need more help, though. They're going to need one of these injured guys to progress in the right direction to to help them because this is a nice moment that they're in right now. I don't think this is totally sustainable unless. Sandy himself really flips the switch. And we've been talking about that almost every single week all year as to when he's going to fully get back on track. It looks better now than it did in May. I'll say, I think his month of June, there was only a few bad endings over the entire course of the month. So I still feel that he's going to be pretty solid for them moving forward, but I don't know when exactly that turning point is going to come uh, with him. I, I think you've had to given up on predicting that one way or another, I, at the very least, though, he is, he is healthy. And this past outing, once again, where you just take one ending out of the equation and he looked extremely impressive. I think that, that um, what's it called? The, wow, 
the turning point might come soon. Um, because from what I hear, there was a mechanical thing that he finally figured out, like right after that bad inning in the last start. So, uh, my hope is that it happens this upcoming start uh, on Tuesday in Boston. But there's honestly no saying whether it happens or not until it happens. So, we will have to watch and see. I think everyone's pulling for him at this point. The fact that he's pretty much been the weak link of the rotation so far is just telling of how much everyone else has stepped up. That's something I'd like to emphasize so far, but there's a question I want to pose speaking of that. This tough stretch coming up, we're in a harder part of the schedule now. Is this sustainable amongst all facets of the roster? I don't. You can kind of guess that some of these lower-end guys in rotation might not be sustainable. Some of the smaller bats might not be sustainable, but from a man number one to man number 26 on the roster. Do you guys think this is sustainable and route to a postseason berth? Offensively is where their challenge is. You know, very quietly, Solaire has had going into one of his cold spells. He was not going to OPS in the 900s all year. And I don't, I don't know if he's going to have a, a single stretch that was quite as hot as it was in late May and in early June with him. Uh, Brian Delacruz, very quietly, his numbers have come all the way back down to his career norms, almost precisely in line with those, if not a, a little bit below that. With Jesus Sanchez, very quietly this past week, yeah, he has cooled off as well. With him, there's not a lot of guys, there's not any guys that you can unconditionally trust aside from Arise. Um, and Arise has been everything they could have wanted and more. And he's like, there's, he is such a safe player to bet on moving forward to like help get this lineup moving a little bit. There's still um, big limitations to this Marlins lineup in in my opinion. And um, yeah, it's a limited amount of hitting. And also as we followed throughout much of, even during this like solid stretch of performance in in June, they've basically stopped base running. Like there's very passive base running overall from this team. Um, both in terms of stolen bases and trying to grab extra bases on balls and play with them. If they're not doing more of that um, and they don't have like a, a single guy that you can unconditionally rely on aside from a rise, it's going to be a below average offense. You know, it's not going to be terrible. It's going to be better than last year. It's going to be better than I think it was at, at points in April when people were really scared about this being the same old team. It's that's still going to be, ultimately the weakness of this club, unless they go out and get somebody outside the organization or unless jazz goes all the way back to what he was in 2022, where he was um, yeah, one of the better players at his entire position. So we saw what he was doing defensively before coming back and he, he was turning the corner offensively as well. He's just been gone for so long that you don't know what to expect from him until he gets back in the mix. Agreed. And that is coming soon. We'll touch on that here in just a second. But first, I guess on a little bit more positive note, Yenry Perez, as many of you know, threw in another absolute gem today. You look at the the tweets up at the top. It's mostly just how crazy Yenry Perez has been so far. And now rises the question, brings the question to the table of, could he be an all-star? We know the Marlins are sending Luis at rise. Every team gets one all-star, which I think is a cool thing, especially back when the Marlins were bad and couldn't, like, didn't have like a true all-star. 
seeing at least just one guy make it was always cool. But we know Arise is going to be there in some way, shape, or form. Solaire's a question mark. Don't know. Teetering and leaning no on him. But um, Yuri Perez, of course, the fans can't touch anything with pitching in the All-Star game, so it's all up to the managers. He has a case. The numbers are more than good. They're excellent. Smaller sample size, but he's been up for a little bit now. And surely I don't think he would pitch in the game because that's just another inning that they would have to tack on to uh, tack on to his yearly total. And they have to be really, really cautious now. This upcoming start against Atlanta might be his last for the All-Star break, according to Craig Mish. But um, is Yuri Perez an All-Star at this point, do you guys think? Does he have a case to, uh, to at least get the nod? He has a case. I do think it is a conversation because of the particular outlook of the National League starting pitching landscape. It, there has been no Sandy Alcantara in the National League this year. Nobody remotely close to that. I'd say entering today, Marcus Stroman was the default NL Cy Young frontrunner, and he had another. He had a bad outing against the Cardinals, and he had a blister issue, and uh, that just speaks to. Where a guy, a guy that you'd normally see as a typical number two starter on a team is the one that has been the most valuable pitcher in the league on the NL side so far this year. It's a lot of guys that are underperforming. Zach Wheeler had another shaky outing today with an ERA now in the high threes, underperforming. Aaron Nola, you could go down the list. Corbin Burns, Corbin Burns it, it continues to be like just a very pedestrian pitcher. Over there, there's so few standout guys. There's so few must-haves. I should shout out, Lewis isn't even in here yet, but you should shout out Clayton Kershaw. He's one guy that is performing pretty great and pretty close to his recent seasons, but not near his peak numbers as well. It's a very underwhelming slate of National League pitchers, a few guys that really need to be there. And because Perez has thrown, at this point, more innings than any reliever certainly has, even though it's far less than these other starters. Like, Are there really, including injury replacements, you usually pick out 12 or 13 starting pitchers per league per year. Can you really point to that many in the National League that have to be there this year, that deserve to be there? Um, it's just going to be a question of the how many automatic spots, how many, um, you know, how many mandatory ones for the team's that the teams that only have one all-star, how many of those starting pitchers that don't necessarily deserve a spot, how many of them get it by default just to make sure that their teams are represented? I that my prediction is it's going to that's going to take away any path that Yuri has. It's just going to be a numbers game. And I think he's going to miss out just because of that old rule about every team needing to have some representation. So that's my prediction for it. He's only going to have one more start after this to make that case. He's barely going to be, he's going to be in the low fifties numbers of innings. And there are just, a, there are a few exceptions historically in recent years of guys making it as starters, despite being limited to what will be 10 starts in the first half of the season. There is some precedent for it. So I think it's possible. I, but ultimately I, it's just going to be, um, yeah, he's just going to be, I imagine the combination of the rules and of the league, the, the, the people that make those pitching decisions, prioritizing volume over newness, 
um, yeah, I wouldn't count on it happening. It's possible, but I, I think it's unlikely to actually get done. Noah or Lewis, any thoughts? I mean, the accolade is deserved. I don't know if um, he and Skip told us post game. You know, he said it with a smirk that he didn't want him to pitch in the game because obviously that cuts into the the innings. And at this point, I think we can all agree that every inning is precious. With a guy like that, given he's never worked 80 innings in a professional season, but he's you know slowly getting there. Um, I mean, I think if your performance merits the accolade, that's fine. You don't have to play in the game. I mean, we saw guys like near the end of the careers, you know, CC Sabathia near the end of his peak, their cheater um, would get the accolade and they would just you know screw off for the game. They wouldn't even go, but they played well enough to earn the distinction. I think at least he earns, he deserves the right to be honored in that regard. But does he have to play in the game? No. But I think he's pitched well enough in the time that he's been here that, hey, he should be an all-star. Well said. I kind of touched on it at the beginning when we introduced this topic, but Luis Arise is the only sure thing for the Marlins, even if he doesn't get voted as the all-star starter, which if you haven't, phase two of voting. It's him versus Ozzy Albies. Go vote for him right now. You get five votes a day. Go vote for Luis well, we, should, we should clarify, you can't vote for him right now. You have to wait until noon tomorrow to for that I phase to open up. open up. I thought it was open. Okay, set your alarms. Noon tomorrow in Eastern time. Go vote for Luis Arise against Ozzy Albies. I don't want I don't want nine Braves starting the All-Star game. Luis Arise is our only hope. But anyways... He will be there no matter what, even if he doesn't start is the point. But he, Brian De La Cruz somewhat had a case for a second. Jorge Soler has a pretty good case for DH, but they didn't make it to that final phase of voting. Some good relievers, but because every team needs to be represented, a lot of times some of the, the weaker teams get deferred to their bullpens. Um, I'm sure the Reds will probably be like that. Alexis Diaz, I'm sure the Rockies will probably do that with Justin Lawrence and list goes on, but outside of Louisa Rise, do you guys see Miami getting any other representation in this game? I'll throw a name out there that hasn't been um, talked about, and I think you know he's very deserving. Steven Oker's been tremendous. I mean, say what you want about the one outing he had the other day against Pittsburgh. He wasn't great. He has been just ever since they got him, to be honest. I sh- he's overperformed his his ERA by what his tips just because he has a propensity and when he does get hit, it's home runs and he walks guys. He has really cut down on the walks this year and he strikes out everybody because that slider is lethal. I mean, it's very close to Andrew Miller with the way that he can just kind of neutralize offenses and his one and plus inning outings with just that one pitch. It seems like I think he's been tremendous. I mean, he's got an ERA of two. He's striking out like 14 batters per nine right now. I think, you know, maybe not initially, but if some guy bows out or, you know, someone is rules ineligible, he's very much deserving of the distinction because he's been tremendous all season. I think up until recently as well, Andrew Nardi had a good case. Um, Puck with another blown save. I mean, it kind of ruins any chances for him, but I thought he was deserving. I mean, this bullpen's been good. There's so many guys worthy of the nod, but there's very limited spots that you have to fill with other teams needing to send pitchers. And, of course, there's been other bullpen pitchers, other relievers that have been better than some of the relievers on Miami, so it would be tough. But um, 
I mean, it'd be cool to see another pitcher get in there. Eli or Noah, any other guys you think would be deserving of the nod or anyone you think might have even a sliver of a chance? Yeah. I, I, would... think, I think both Nardi and Puck still have a chance. Like, they've still been great. Mm-hmm. I don't think Puck will will get it just because you have to assess him in his role, and he's primarily a closer. And when he's not striking out guys with the elite kind of uh, – numbers that guys like Devin Williams and such do. Um, and then you factor in, he's had about one or two bad outings. The ERA is just north of three, but it's not that, you know, close to two. I, I mean, if he if he's good in the couple of weeks ahead of the, the break, sure. But I just don't think, like, off the bat, he'll be one of those guys that slam dunk, he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. No, the NL All-Star Relievers, I have the script. The NL All-Star Relievers this year, they're Alexis Diaz, David Bednar, Josh Hader. It's those three, and then they'll plug. I imagine the only other guys that will get in are those that are automatically filling a spot for a team. There, You could look at recent years. There are not very many relievers that are put on All-Star teams. I think that's a good thing because of how comparatively starting pitchers have a bigger influence on your team than relievers. That's been a trend. Um, none of those guys are going to be under consideration. I'll just spoil it for you right now. Uh, the Marlin that is under more serious consideration, I was surprised you kind of whisked him away just because of one bad week. I think Solaire is still a very realistic chance of getting in due to both you know his slugging and also the circumstances of his slugging, the fact that he is one of the league leaders and win probability added that he has been playing close to every single day at the DH spot, and there are very few others that have been to this point. I mean, if Garrett Cooper snuck in as the third DH in the national league last year, after a single injury, um, I think Solaire has a very good shot of getting in. It's not quite the high likelihood as it was. It seems like it might be a little while ago. He's not going to get elected in as a starter. And so if, if we think that Harper is likely the starter, then, um, the question is kind of between Solaire and JD Martinez, who, as who definitely gets, the, uh, that, that second DH spot in the National League, that's a close call. You know, Martinez had a really hot streak, but you look at their numbers overall, and Solaire still has the edge over him basically everything by little slight margins. And on top of it, being able to do it in such high-leverage situations again and again and again, yeah, I, I think Solaire is better than 50-50 of getting in. I think he is the, sec- the, the second most likely Marlin to get in even better than Yeri does. So let, just let me ask you this real quick. So J.D. Martinez and Bryce Harper are the two finalists for DH, correct? There may have been a Braves somewhere in there. I thought Braves fans like voted someone in crazy. I, 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 I should double check, yeah. And I think D'Arna had a, a ton of votes. I don't know, but let, let's say in the event that it is J.D. Martinez, because I know for sure he's one, and then Bryce Harper's the second. Would it help Solaire's chances if more so if Martinez got the nod or if Harper got the nod? Oh, well, definitely you're pulling for somehow J.D. Martinez to get it because he's the one that's actually been on the field. Even Harper now has been back a while. I don't think he would get in unless it is fan-elected. To this point, because Harper's OPS, I just realized that depending on what he did today, it fell below 800 entering today, and he's only played in this was his 45th game. Yeah, Harper is not getting in unless it is elected as a starter. Uh, historic history would tell you that he's going to get elected 
as the starter. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out for sure, because he's just, he's not been performing quite as well as maybe you thought he was or how he was initially after coming back off the IL, definitely pulling for JD Martinez to somehow win that vote. Because if, if he fans have showed out, I, I think they've got a shot. Lewis, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to say, I think, you know, you could throw out the Atlanta start, but if he has one or two more, it's what he's probably got about two more starts before the break. I honestly think Braxton Garrett could get a nod, you know, from the managers. I don't think he'll get noticed because he doesn't overwhelm you stuff wise, but other than, you know, pretty much since mid-May, he's probably been, other than Yuri, maybe the best pitcher in the National League. Is that is that a farce to say? I mean, he's got like a 250 ERA and like, what, like seven starts since then? And he's doing it by throwing 91, 92, cutting the ball, sliding the ball, throwing a good changeup, developing pitches on the fly. I mean, his ERA is like 364. I know, you know, Coaches aren't going to look at FIP and be like, oh, well, he's underperforming, so he should be an all-star. I don't think that's what they're going to do, but he has been a bit unlucky, and I do think that, hey, like, if he strings together another good start or two ahead of the break, then why not? Like, he's just been, he's been, we said it before, he's been the most pitcher on this team, minus Yuri. Agreed, yeah. Uh, so is he projected for two more starts at, to this point? He, is he starting in Boston or Atlanta? I think he's awesome. Mr. Braxton Garrett. He would start he's starting this second game. He's starting the second game in Boston on Wednesday. It is San, Sandy Braxton and Lazardo. Okay. Jeez, yeah, well, that's a good lineup for Boston. But, yeah, no, I mean, Lewis is right. Two, three starts remain for him potentially. And um, he, the reason why he might not is because he's not a name. But luckily for pitching votes, it is in the manager's hands because if it wasn't in the manager's hands, you would have Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, and the entire Braves rotation in there. But he's definitely deserving of the nod. I think the only sure thing, though, is Louisa Rice. But also, I guess remember that at noon tomorrow, go vote for Louisa Rice and J.D. Martinez. So that way you can get Solaire in as a second DH. We'll segue to a topic that Eli and I really wanted to touch on because it's it's important given that it's literally right around the corner the move could happen as soon as Tuesday the Jazz's pending return and we'll touch briefly on Segura's pending return as well but more so a hyper focus on Jazz where do these guys fit specifically Jazz right now with especially the top half of the line of clicking how do you incorporate Jazz back into the mix well, the answer defensively is pretty simple. I've, I've seen some weird theor- theories and suggestions about him not being full-time center fielder, and I can put those to bed. Uh, he played every moment of his rehab assignment in center field, and he looked good doing it. He looked good doing it before his injury. He's going to be the team's almost everyday center fielder. Now that they actually have a backup, uh, a viable backup in Jonathan Davis, I think Davis is going to start at least maybe once a week there a little bit more of a timeshare than it was early this year when Jazz was pretty close to a true everyday player. So maybe that changes a tiny bit. And Jazz, on some of those days, he'll DH, and maybe he'll have slightly more days off than he was having before. But otherwise, it's going to be a really similar playing time situation for him defensively. The hot question is, like, where to bat him in this lineup? Because my suspicion was that... (laughs) My suspicion is that he was going to bat a lot higher up then sixth, 
that they were going to essentially like go back to what how things were before he got hurt. Um, and uh, now that we're getting really close to this, I don't I think that might be exactly where they go back to again. I know people are really encouraged by how DLC and Sanchez have performed at times, but you just take a step back and like look at them as overall players. I don't think they're better offensive players than Jazz is, especially when you include the base running. You have to include the base running. That is an important aspect of the game. That is something that this team has desperately missed, even when they've been winning games over this last month. Um, the reason why it has felt like such a chore at times to score runs is because they don't have guys that are actually active on the bases and making something more out of their singles and walks. And Jazz is somebody that does that. He and he's he's going to be doing that right away. There's not going to be any hesitation from him to get back to being the aggressive player that he used to be. So I um yeah I I think I would I would uh, like agree with it. And I think the, that's the most likely scenario is that he's going to be like he's going to be back near the top of the lineup. He's either going to be batting leadoff or he's going to be batting third. And I I don't think it's going to be any lower than that. Their alternatives, although they've all had their nice moments, even Garrett Cooper recently, he's had his nice moments. Like I don't know why they would bat those guys in front of Jazz if they believe that Jazz is fully healthy. Because I, I still think that this guy is a really good player who's the, who impacts winning in a lot of different ways uh, against right-handed pitching. You know what? I'll, the caveat I'll say is that against lefties, with the expectation they're still going to be in the lineup a lot against lefties, I think against lefties is when they're going to feel more comfortable dropping him down, knowing the way that some of these other guys have performed in his absence. So I'll say that. Against lefties, I still I think there's um, a higher likelihood of him being in the bottom half of the lineup, understanding historically that he just has not performed in those matchups. Lewis or Noah, any thoughts? Six. I, I'm in agreement, but you, you kind of know how this team operates. At this point, um, you, you just can't mess with the Arias Soler one, two, and I don't like, think they would. And you got to spread out your lefties. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I just think he'll be better at six. He can still steal bases at six. Nothing stopping him there. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Although they haven't really stolen much at all this year. So who's going down? I think the, the answer is obvious to some of us who have been kind of like keeping up with it in the last week. But for the people wondering, who do you guys think is going down for Jazz Chisholm? I think you'll see Hampson go down upon the return of Chisholm. And then with the return of Segura, um, although I'm sure some fans are dreading that given the way he's played thus far, um, Jacob Amaya will go down. Jacob Amaya's gotten, what, nine plate appearances in the big leagues. He's got a couple of hits. He's been okay. I mean, like, he really hasn't been tested all that much, although, you know, for a guy primarily up here to hit against righty lefties, he's mostly started against righties. But that being said, yeah, I think it's obvious. It's You're, you're going to have to ride the hot hand with this team because, as you guys previously touched on, there's a level of inconsistency. They're just a – Timing-wise, they tend to get the hits at the right times. If you look up and down that lineup, besides, you know, Arise and Solaire, you have a lot of average to below-average hitters, and those below-average hitters, or even just the average ones, are going to be prone to slumps that are going to see them really struggle to score runs. That So the guys that aren't hitting 
particularly the guys that don't play every day to begin with, you know, the Hampsons and the Amayas, you know, they're, they're, they're probably going to either, uh, in Hampson's case, you're, you're likely looking at a DFA. Um, and then in Amaya's case, he, he's not a guy you want to give up on after, you know, sub 10 plate appearances. So he'll, he'll find himself back at AAA, but that's the guy that obviously I think they have high hopes on, um, in the future. Yeah. I mean, I know that's the unfortunate answer, but I guess the alternative that probably won't happen unless it somehow gets a little more serious. It has been reported that John Birdie's had some discomfort recently. Maybe a brief IL stint would help him out. That would obviously help keep Amaya up. But um, I don't know if I foresee that happening anytime soon, But uh, especially with Birdie still playing. But he looks like he might have some discomfort running around the bases. So any other thoughts on that before we kind of touch on some of, some of the injuries and the state of the rotation? Well, I'll just say quickly, it's, it's been – Somewhat of a bummer how little they've used Amaya since he's been called up. I understand that they haven't faced many lefties, and he does have big platoon splits each of the last couple of years where you think those are great matchups for him. But I, I think we talked about it when he got called up that this was such could be such a valuable evaluation period for him, knowing that this team doesn't have any clear solution at shortstop beyond this year. And the most likely candidate would probably be Amaya, you could gather a lot of information by having him actually play when he was up here during this period of time where Segura Segura's presence wasn't bearing down on him where there was playing time to go around just moving Wendell and birdie over to third base. Uh, so allow Maya to play pretty consistently. They, they have not done that whatsoever. They barely used him. I've also been surprised that they've had Wendell as the defensive replacement for Amaya now in two of his games. Um, I know Wendell has been, he's had, he's had some nice moments defensively at shortstop this year, but Amaya is not a guy that you'd think needs to be replaced. That at the very least, Amaya is Wendell's equal, but probably better than Wendell on that side of the ball. That's been a little weird. And for that reason, I'm not entirely convinced that Hampson is going down before Amaya is because they're both kind of in the same situation. They're both barely playing. They're both, and not not even platoon roles; they're both kind of in bench roles at this moment. But so that's been a little bit of a bummer with with Amaya. If he's not going to play now, when Segura and Jazz are both out, then uh, I don't know if he's going to get substantial playing time until the very end of the year. And uh, I thought that they were going to be a little bit more; they're going to put him in a better chance to actually develop and and contribute during his time up here. And so that's been a bit of a disappointment. Indeed, but um, yeah, you would imagine that with Segura close, that they would both be your very, very likely candidates to go down. There would probably be some uproar if they send Jonathan Davis down. There are no other true options to send anyone down. All these guys are pretty much up in the majors for offensively. But, um, yeah, if they send Jonathan Davis down, I will find him at at Fenway and 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 and, and might just be like, why? Just just why? <laughs> They're also going to probably try and ride him out as long as they can as well, even if he does slump, because that was an acquisition this year. Uh, you kind of seen a theme that the Marlins do that a lot, but if he's performing, don't set him down at all. I mean, that it's been it's proved to be a really good acquisition so far. I know a lot of you guys know that I was kind of critical at first. Why is this guy playing when there's options down in the minors? He's been good. I don't know what this the scouting department for the team saw, but whatever they did, um, it's, it's helped greatly. So we'll turn to the other side of the ball now. 
the rotation, kind of just injury updates there and just the state of the rotation within the state of fish. When will he start his return? Edward Cabrera is kind of unclear right now, it seems, even though there, I did read like two articles that said that his stay on the IL shouldn't be long-term, but he also hasn't really ramped up at all. So we'll keep an eye out on that for the first game of the Boston series. We'll, we'll get updates, I'm sure. Noah will be there and get those updates for us. Rodgers is still a ways away. I've seen some say we might have to wait till August to see him. And then is Cueto even a major league pitcher right now? Don't know about that one. So while the rotation's been good as of late, and you have three really good starters going in Boston, it's still bleak, to say the least. What are our thoughts on where to turn, what's going to happen, just what's the outlook at this point? I've said it now, and Eli prefaced it. I think that come the deadline, they're going to have to entertain the idea of getting a starting pitcher. And a guy that I like, a guy that a scenario that I thought was dreamlike, you know, maybe best case scenario was Lucas Giolito, who is going to be a free agent at the end of the year with the White Sox. He has been inconsistent of times the last couple of years. I mean, the start he had against Miami, he was tremendous. So he was seven innings of one run ball before they ushered in that comeback a couple of Sundays ago. But he's a free agent at season's end. The White Sox have already kind of confirmed, and Giolito's kind of echoed some of that by saying that he doesn't think he's going to be there long term. I think, you know, if he pitches well in the, in the, the couple of starts, three, four, five, whatever starts he has ahead of the break or the um, trade deadline. And I think you kind of just have to, like, maybe just pose that. I don't, being a free agent at the end of the year, I don't think he's going to cost much. And then say he does pitch very well and parlays that into a big deal. Before he does that, if the, you can, you know, offer him a qualifying offer. Um, and if he doesn't take it, you get draft pick compensation. Um, like I said, I don't think if they do commit to paying him for the remainder of the year, like a guy like that who has some playoff experience, I don't think that's the worst idea, especially when you have the concerns that you do with Cueto and when you have Yuri who, you know, is not going to throw, you know, 150 innings this year. Like, get a guy who's done it. And I think that's a good example, especially in a, like, very thin starting pitching market. I think that's a guy I think that could be a big plus for this team come the deadline should they encourage that idea. You bring up some really good points, and that's something I've been discussing here in Cincinnati with a lot of Reds fans and Reds people. It seems that Lucas Giolito might be the prized possession at this deadline with the Cubs kind of having resurgence. Everyone thought Stroman would be a big trade name, and he still might be. But as of now, the trade deadline were tomorrow. It seems that Lucas Giolito might be the prized possession on the starting pitching market. That being said, I would be afraid that the Marlins would get outbid. I do think he'd help the team a lot, but I think there's seven, eight, nine teams that would put together a competitive offer for Giolito to this point. Well, what I want to just echo, not echo, what I want to emphasize first is that this Cueto situation has to be coming to a head now. He's made a, a bunch of rehab starts, and every single one of them has been discouraging one way or another. Only one of them where he actually put a zero on the board, and even that one looked shaky. His stuff is so diminished from what it was. His his command is so diminished from what it was. He's he like he is one of the weaker options anywhere in the upper levels of this minor league system in terms of actual performance. But he's on a guaranteed deal, and after his next rehab start, he's going to be fully stretched out to be a starter. 
and they can't keep him on the rehab assignment much longer. There, there's a 30-day limit on that. He's not, at the moment, actually, he's not taking up a 40-man roster spot because he's on the 60-day IL, so getting rid of him doesn't really change anything that they don't, don't already have right now. It's, I'm going to, I really don't have a great read on whether or not he's going to come back from the IL or whether they're going to just cut their losses without finding out what he's got. Um, because to me, it is so evident that he just does not have what it takes to contribute in any way that he simply is, uh, to put it bluntly, cooked physically at this moment. Um, but they, because of all the money that they did pay for him and because that as recently as last year, he was somebody that had such success without overwhelming stuff. Um, I wonder if they are going to just give it a try at the moment heading into this break, maybe, maybe just one start. Uh, two at the very most and, and see if anything clicks. Um, I, I don't know for sure what they're going to do one way or another. It has been worse than you could have even like feared in terms of how he is performing and the way that his stuff is playing during this rehab assignment. And yet, because they made such a big investment in him, it would be, some would say that it would be irresponsible to totally get rid of him without at least giving him a shot to contribute at the big league level at a position where, as we touched on, where they are very thin at the moment. that's good. We're going to have an answer really soon. Uh, I would ex- expect him to make his final Rieba start on Wednesday. That's the next AAA game, and he'll be fully rested by then. And then after that, what do they do? Uh, that's a big question, even though I, I feel that the, like the... I feel like there's no ambiguity as to the fact that he's going to struggle in the big leagues if they put him in the big leagues right now but they're gonna have to make a decision on that relatively soon and then go from there agreed that's i think kevin pointed this out but on fan graphs cueto was the projected starter for like one of the cardinals games i don't know if that was an error or not but they may just go one start say all right let's see what you got i mean if, if you lose one game i guess uh, it's the, it the, it's, i think with that fan graphs thing is because he that's yuri's slot um, and so they just if Yuri's done after Atlanta, someone's got to take that slot. So they just default to Cueto because he's a, he's technically by numbers he's the closest to come back, just off the amount of time he's been in rehab. And I think there's a limit on the amount of days you can be in a rehab assignment before they have to make a decision. Yeah, Eli said it was thirty. Yeah, like like with Enright, when his rehab starts, that rehab assignment ended, they had to make a decision. And we'll see. I I don't know if they're going to cut their losses this early. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea. And, and by the way, if a player's star. not hurt, if a player's not hurt, they can't keep him on the IL. The player can can file a complaint, and they have to take him off the IL. So yeah, they've got to make a decision. They do. It's coming up, and of course, he doesn't have minor league options because the guy is 38, 39 years old. That's not an option. You would just have to DFM at that point. But it looks like he could be in line to, for just at least one start, or maybe at most one start, depending on how you look at it. Uh, yeah, Rogers looks like he was close, but he's, he's done. Edwards, a question mark. Best case scenario, maybe he's back by the all-star break. Worst case, he could be a lost cause. We don't know yet. It's, his injury has been weird. There just really hasn't been a lot of news about it. But yeah, being that we've kind of 
unlocked the Pandora's box of potential starting pitching or just trade deadline stuff in general. I mean, the Padres have really underperformed this year, but one of their semi-bright spots has been Seth Lugo. If you want to talk about a guy who's kind of versatile as a pitcher and the way that manifests in that he could start and relieve, I don't think that's a terrible idea. Also, another guy that you don't have to commit to long-term, a guy who's been in the big leagues for a while. He knows the NLEs, although it's changed a lot since he first came up with the Mets. Um, maybe not like the best option, but an option nonetheless if you're trying to preserve Yuri's innings and if you're just concerned about getting bad performance from Cueto, which again, like Eli said, is almost a certainty at this point. But, I mean, there's just a name. I mean, I think it's you know good to at least have the conversation about names outside of the organization that we feel like maybe could not stabilize the rotation, but uh, kind of just be cement in what has just been an otherwise you know, who's going to pitch the next game kind of thing for them. Agreed. I mean, right now, I think I think one, two, three is as close to a sure thing as it is. Sandy Lozardo, I guess Braxton Garrett's worked his way up there. Four, five is definitely a big question mark. I say that because Gary's innings. If Gary didn't have an innings limit, he's probably number one up in there. But you, you've got a big three at this point. Gary, we don't know what's going to happen And that five spot. What do you do until Eddie comes back? So I, I like the thought. Padres are falling off a little bit. A, they, they could just heat up at any point. They got way too much talent, too. Or B, let's say they do. I like Michael Walker. I do. I, I think that he could be someone that gets traded if the Padres don't get it together. But we'll have the to problem with that is you're committing to him beyond next year, this year. He believes he's on a three-year deal. So, you know, if things go south, you still have him on your books for the next two years. So... Just something to keep tabs on when you're looking into acquiring a guy like that. Although it, I believe the the control would make him cheaper. It's in the case when you're paying him guaranteed money. Um, if you're going to take on most of that contract, that is an event in which the pitcher will, you know, become cheaper because you'll have him longer, but you're also paying him more. But you, with that, would also be the inconsistencies. And he recently recovered from a stretch the last couple of years where he was incredibly inconsistent, if not very bad. Um, if he reverts to that or something close to that, then again, what do you do now? It's Cueto times two because you have that guy in the books for two years rather than one after this. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And well, I'm sure we'll have plenty of questions about trade. So we'll, we're getting to the questions, I promise. We are, this is the most requested kind in a long time. We're, we're definitely going to get there. I just want to do our week coming up briefly. But any other final thoughts on the rotation or anything like that injury-wise? We'll take that as a no. So the week coming up, maybe the toughest one-week stretch the Marlins have had all season. At the Boston Red Sox, a team who the Marlins really have been meh against in recent runs, especially at Fenway Park. And then, of course, the the most hated team amongst Marlins Twitter now, the Atlanta Braves this weekend. And the, against Boston, like Noah said, Noah will be there in Boston us providing on-site coverage will be our Ted ballpark fish on first as attended is really a credential yeah we pulled up that stat last week during the show it's a tent so uh, pretty cool Sick. stuff no will be there but starting pitching wise Sandy Braxton Lazardo if the Marlins want to win that series they're sure putting out their the three best options it seems like three of their best options, rather. I mean, of course, Yuri went today. But the 
Braves series, it's it's going to be a pretty telling series. They, they've been bad against the Braves this year. The Braves have probably been the one of, if not the best team in baseball this year. The most consistent for sure. Because of course, the Rays and Rangers got some like really crazy stretches, but the Braves consistently have been good all year long. It would be good. It would be big to even take one game. I feel like in that case, let alone win the series. But anything you guys want to point out that's coming up in this week before we get to the best part of the show? The one game I'm very concerned about is that third game facing Brian Bayo, who just, in my mind, is an absolute stud. He, he's the one that really worries me. And with Lazardo's road splits, I, w- I would that be worried too. as well. Lazardo has not been great on the road. Outside of that D.C. start last week, it has not been smooth sailing for the guy. All right, well, we will take that into the best part of the show. And also, it's the Adam du- it's an Adam Duvall revenge series. Oh, no, we're screwed. He, has he, he's been a non-factor since his injury, right? He's streaky. We, that is a given. Just better hope he doesn't heat up. All right. I love seeing so many requests. This has been pretty good listenership. For one uh, I'm going to hop off. I'm going to hop off here. Uh, All right. I'll see you guys. We, we will see you. We will see you, Mr. Noah. Safe travels to Boston. All right. I love seeing all the requests again. Thank you guys for the listenership this week. And, um, small panel to answer your questions, but yeah, we, we will get to them all. But first let's, let's pitch it. Let's consider becoming a super subscriber. We always bring this up because if you are one of our super subscribers, you get first priority to speak in these spaces. Uh, you can request at any time. We'll let you in. And what is becoming a super subscriber though? $3 a month is the, the base plan. And it's all access to everything fish on first, all access to our gift database, priority to speak in these spaces, fantasy sports leagues with us. We do fantasy football. We have our own fantasy baseball league for the super subscribers, super duper fun, plenty of prizes, tons and tons of giveaways, access to the game notes that they give the media before the games. We call it the Marlins Bible. Um, All sorts of giveaways, man. I mean, it is worth your buck, your three bucks. You can always donate more if you're generous. But we used to do it through Twitter. It is now through our website. If you are interested in becoming a super subscriber, go to our website and become that. Maybe Eli can give them further instruction on that. I always feel like I'm forgetting something when I I pitch all the perks. There's just so many. It is all access to everything Fish on First. I think you said it right. Just want to specify, we're giving away tickets to the July 4th game. If you're into that, only eligible if you're a super subscriber. So you put in three bucks. And then you can win a pair of tickets that are valued at a whole lot more than that to see one of your last chances to see the team before the All-Star break um, as it's currently comprised. And that's always a, a great event. That's going to be against the Cardinals. They're probably going to win because the Cardinals stink as well so far this year. I don't want to jinx that. But we appreciate everybody's support. we got a couple of super subscribers that are asking questions in here for us. And so, uh, yeah, we'll get right to those. We will, and uh, I believe our first super subscriber on deck. We're getting so many, so you know, if I miss any, uh, let me know. We're going to bring in Romeo, but yeah, I mean, you could make that $3 worth it if you win that subscription. What's better than watching America's Pastime on America's Holiday? So, Romeo, welcome in. What is your question, sir? Is a 94 percentile barrel rate good? I don't know. I don't know how to use baseball savant. Is it red? Yeah. It's good. For a pitcher, it's good, right? 
correct? If the percentile is is red on there, that just know it's good. And then if if you see that it's good, you can always just go down to the statistic and see what it is. I know Lewis and and Mr. Carver, who's on here, and Eli are better with a lot of those sites like Baseball Smart, Fangraphs, or StatHead, all that than me. I'm getting better. It, it means those guys know more. It, it means that that they're they're disallowed for a pitcher. It means that they're disallowing barrel contact. If it's 94th percentile, it means that they're disallowing barrel contact at a very high rate. I only say that because the bullpen is good. It's full, but a good lefties. I don't. They don't really have that many great righties. You know who's a righty out there, guys? Justin Lawrence. And what did he do today? Did he get a save? He got a save today in a series where they, the team, the day before, the Colorado Rockies, Rockies lost 25 to 1. They came back and beat the Angels in the series. This is With your they, Justin Lawrence report from Mr. Romeo Weekly. I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, the, one more ready would be nice, but you have an internal option, Mr. Alex Carver. I think you know who I'm referring to that, in Jacksonville. Mr. Maldonado, why can't we have both? You, you got you got to send someone down then. Who do, who do you send down? Brazabon. You also need to get him on the on the forty man roster because Maldonado's not on the forty man. Sixto's on the forty man roster. You can re- you can just tell that guy to go somewhere else. Just stay in DR at that point. You, you clear up a roster spot. You can call up two guys or trade for one. They, they, I mean, there's no reason to have him on there. He hasn't pitched since 2020. He's not going to pitch this year. He hasn't. He's a no throw, so like not even like that's another reason just to why is he on the forty man. That is a, is a good point, but you as Justin Loris connoisseur, real quick before we get to some of the others, that uh, we might put a, a question capper today. Just with how many requests we've got? Do you think he will get traded? Hundred percent. He 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 will fit in any well, not any team. But he will. He's he's been de- decent enough or good enough where he can end up in another contending team's bullpen. Maybe not as high leverage, but definitely not. No. And maybe like six, seventh. If you are, if you are, um, if you are going to look for someone, I know seventh, seventh in them is like kind of high leverage, but that is somewhere he can go. He he throws fast. He throws. He throws fast. He throws hard and fast from a weird arm slot. So. You have to like look at that. Um, one more thing before I go. Yvonne Herrera got called up today or the other yesterday. I did not. I wasn't able to see the stat line because I was working. But did he play today for St. Louis? Now you don't have to worry about that. He was called up on a technicality. He was called up because for the London series, both teams got a twenty seventh man. They got an extra roster spot. The Cardinals brought him up just so they'd have a third catcher available it's not it doesn't reflect the their feelings about him they do seem to still be if not out on him uh, low on him i would still expect him to be available despite his brief cup of coffee on their roster well that's sad all right is that is that it for you mr romeo for the moment yes if we have enough time i'll probably come out if i can ask you we might be here for a while so uh so hope you can stick around Right. Thank you, Romeo. Next question. What, what, what do we got? I brought in Marcelo MDV. He's another super subscriber. 
I did not know he was a super subscriber. So, so thank you for your, your business, sir. What is your question? Uh, thank, uh, thanks for the time. I have one question about one player, which I've seen and, and has caught my eye. I think he's going to be really cheap. Um, he's not having the best year, but he would be a buy-low option. I'd be very cheap, obviously. Um, my first choice would be Candelario. But what do you guys think about Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez? I think he's he's been unlucky. He's had some, you look at his Devon page, it's good. And he would be kind of cheap because he's, he's owed money. So it would be more or less a money, money type thing and not so much a a prospect capital type thing, which we don't really have much. I, you got to get the mayors to, to pay a good portion of that. Though. I feel like Candelario, though, we, we have someone, Mr. Kevin, who is very obsessed with, with Candelario. He, he wants him badly. And you're going to see more and more interdivision trades with uh, with the new schedule format. It, it won't become a rarity anymore. But I, I would like Candelario. I, I got to see Suarez in Cincinnati for a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, but I, the problem is money. If, if you can get the Mariners to pay the majority of that, I mean, I also don't really see why not. Also, another problem is the strikeouts. I mean, he is like Solaire where he will strike out quite a bit, if not more. I mean, he, he is very streaky a hitter as well. Um, for the way this team's operated, I don't think that's the worst thing because obviously they're full of streaky hitters and they've, you know, won more than they've lost for the most part this year. So, you know, ride with it. I like Suarez. I like the power. I don't think the defense is great at third base. I mean, he wasn't at like shortstop. He has, he has a 98th percentile out of average this season. So he's been really good there. Well, then that's an improvement because, you know, consistently below average, if not just an average defender. But, you know, I mean, for a short-term fix, he's not a bad thing. I mean, again, that, AL West, I think it's pretty much just set with three teams. So, you know, the Mariners could theoretically sell. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a guy that, you know, would make all that much sense for the Marlins. Although he is, you know, he does have a track record that does, you know, say otherwise. I had forgotten about the, the Reds team two years ago where they just went into the season without a shortstop and they played they played him there for like a month or so and he accrued so much negative value as a shortstop there two years ago. Yeah, you're right. Like historically, defensively at third, he's been kind of – he was good early in his career and then he went into a downspin and then this year is arguably his best ever, at least in terms of how it's above average. But then it depends what you look at. By DRS, he's still – a minus over there. I, yeah, I like him as I, I like him what he's done in the past for sure. And the power is very tantalizing. He is, he seems to be by all accounts a, a great clubhouse guy for what it's worth. And for a team that is now like maybe that makes an incremental difference. But then again, the guy who's playing time he'd be taking, Gene Segura, has that same positive reputation as well. And as much of a down year as it is for Suarez, he's he's a better player than Segura, I would think. It's on both sides of the ball, considering how like unfamiliar Segura is with third place to begin with. Yeah, I just don't I don't know exactly how I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would really focus a lot more on Condelario. I mean, it's he's somebody that is going to be obviously more available. It's going to cost more to get him in terms of the prospect capital you send the other way, but just being a pending free agent, you know, the Nationals don't really have much of an alternative unless they're actually going to open extension talks with him 
That seems pretty unlikely. I'm more locked in on Candelario. I think I'll put up an article tomorrow on him being a fit because he is, he's continued to just be a really good hitter this year, including today. I watched Candelario today against the Padres was really impressed with the quality of his at bats. So that's a guy that's going to be pretty high up on their list of targets. I would think he might get the all-star nod for Washington too, because they haven't really had like a great pitcher so far this year and third base offensively has been pretty weak in the national league this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets not. Yeah, I was I was saying Suarez more more as a second choice, second option because because Candelari is gonna be really really coveted. I don't think we're 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 gonna be the only ones there, and probably we'll take a lot more prospect capital, which we don't really have at the moment because all all our good pitchers are are injured. So I I don't know what else they can do except to buy low on some on some veterans and hope they do a, a brace 2021 and, and turn around a couple of them. Well, they've got one of those guys. So maybe you get the magic there, but no, you're right. Uh, prospect capital this year to try and trade is, is bleak. They got to be pretty strategic with this deadline. And now that we are really ramping up in the trade season here in the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll definitely keep an eye on that. Any other questions? By the way, I'm thinking we'll go like two question cap for everyone. I'm I'm very very flattered about all the, the requests we've got. It is, it is very very nice to see. We also might be here all night. So any other questions, Marcelo? No, I'm fine. And I, and I think Walker could be a, a good one too. But, but as Lewis said, he's would have to eat some money. There's some mm-hmm. risk there. Yeah, I was I was waiting for Marcelo to give us the lowdown on Marco Vargas or something, but he didn't do it. But that's okay. That's what you're for, man. What the hell? You're a specialist, not me. <laughs> he is the guy. Well, Marcelo, thank you. We'll, uh, we will move on to uh, the the next uh, next speaker here. Oh, we'll, we'll call up the fish on first top prospect here. We've got Ryan. This guy asks this your man asks great questions every single week. We got him here today. I'm sure he's going to have something good for us. Ryan, good seeing you back. Didn't see you last week. How, how's it going? And what, what's your question? What's up, guys? So, my question is uh, you know, a lot of questions, but one of the most intriguing questions or uh, storylines right now, in my opinion, is the emergence of Brian Hohen. And I was wondering uh, what you guys think. Is there like a clear future for Brian Hoey as possibly like a permanent member of the rotation? And do you think, uh, I'll kind of making it a two-part question, do you think Skip should maybe let him go six next time? So I thought he pulled him early. I think uh, Hoey could have definitely gone six. He had the no-hitter. I don't know why he's pulled after five. I think six would have been more reasonable. I will defer to Brian Hoey's specialist, uh, Alex Carver, on this one. Well, I love, I love this question. I think it's awesome. So this guy showed it in spring training, Ryan, that he's a different pitcher. And I said that from the start. I got laughed at, of course. Um, but I think you're seeing it now, the improvement that this guy has made, the, the improvement in the below, the improvement in the spin rate is all there. Um, this guy's a usable pitcher, man, and I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, if, if the bullpen wasn't performing as it was and – they really, really thought that this guy, they needed to push this guy into more innings and they would do it. Um, I think they're staying comfortable with him. Um, you know, it's, it's still a guy that's, that's fairly new. 
to, to pitching in Major League Baseball, so I think they're in a good spot with him. Um, I don't disagree with you that this could be a guy that could fill a back-end spot for any Major League team, including the Marlins right now, especially where they're at with injuries. So I, disagree, I I totally agree with you that this guy could and should stick around, especially where, where the Marlins are currently with their rotational situation. Um, big seven innings, if he can do that, that's a, that's a total win for this guy who who was not doing that very often uh, previously, especially not at this level. So it's really cool, man. Um, I like this guy. Um, I, I really think that he's he was very under the radar. I think he still kind of is in terms of the national you know, limelight, which back-end rotational guys are always going to be that. But, man, he provides a service for this team. He's really good. They talk very highly of him. Um, he's confident in himself. Uh, I know guys here have talked to him, and he's, he's just a calm dude. He's a cool dude. He's kind of collected in the clubhouse. He's kind of quiet. Um, but he gets his work done, man, and he's he's super cool. So I, I totally agree with you that it's a guy that that should stick around in the rotation at least for now, and probably into the second half unless they have a prospect that 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 you know comes up and is called upon to to kind of do better. Um, which I don't think they really have that right now unless they do it with Monteverde or maybe another guy. But yes, this guy should should stick in the rotation. He's good, um, and I'm glad that he's showing this and proving you right. So it's awesome. Mm, well, he's, he's good two times through the order. He's been great, I should say, two times through the order to this point. The Now, the reason, Ryan, why he was cut off at five innings is simply a matter of not being stretched out because they were using him as yeah. a conventional reliever. And so it's going to be this next start where I think they will give him even a longer leash to get closer to fully stretched out, 85 pitches, maybe 90 if things go great. And uh, once he gets stretched out, there's going to be not much of a leash on him because he's, he's a 26 year old man. He's, he's somebody that they didn't invest a whole lot in, in the first place. Um, They're going to yeah milk everything he has. And so far it's, it, it was an amazing week for him. The questions that I have, his slider has been outstanding this year and the work that he put in on that pitch clearly shows the question for me is going to be whether that changeup is a viable pitch. He's barely been using it this year since he's got called up. Only 5% usage of that changeup. And you're going to need it if you're going to navigate three times through a lineup instead of two. Um, and that's that's a big question. I can't say one way or another whether I'm confident in, in how that's going to look if he is going to be used as like a full-fledged starting pitcher. He's going to have a role on this pitching staff for sure. And for the moment, they absolutely need him in the rotation. They don't have any alternatives that I think are particularly close in terms of what they are going to provide. Uh, yeah, I, I just would uh, temper the expectations a little bit uh, in terms of what it's going to look like these uh, next couple outings coming against. Well, I mean, frankly, the Blue Jays were a good opponent, and that's why that was so much, such an impressive outing that he had. Um, yeah, I just I'm going to temper expectations a little bit. I'm just curious to see exactly what it looks like going for a full length start instead of these slightly smaller samples of him. Yeah, it's it's not, like you said, I mean, what they're getting now is definitely more than what they thought they were going to get at the start of the season, and that's a win. So, I mean, the guy's pitching meaningful innings for a winning baseball team against good opponents. Like, you can't really ask for much more than that. Like, could it be better? Yeah. Could he be stretched out more? Yeah, and I'm sure they're going to do that because they have no other choice. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, Ryan, to answer this question, you're right. He is going to stick with this team, and I think he will get stretched out further, as Eli just said. But what he's doing right now is is already, already has to be a surprise to them. It has to be a surprise to us. I think it is to most of us. Um, it's even a surprise to me. I was I was I was pretty, um, 
you know, okay with this guy being a ground ball pitcher, but now he's striking guys out and he's doing it against some of the best hitters in baseball. You have to be encouraged with that. So, yeah, do you want to see it third time through? Do you want to see it deeper into games? Of course, but you have to also temper expectations, like Eli said, and you have to wait and see what happens. So I think if they continue to strike this guy out, I agree. I think he could could have in that start gone further than he did, and he probably would have been fine. So hopefully that's what we see next time out. Yeah, and one more question for you guys. Uh, I was looking into, of course, like every Marlins fan, I was looking into trade targets at the deadline. And one guy that I noticed who probably wouldn't take a ton to get just because he's not like a consistent hitter, but he could add a lot of power to this lineup uh, if they need to. And a guy who hasn't really gotten enough national recognition for hitting a lot of home runs is actually Jake Berger of the Chicago White Sox. 17 home runs this year, a 226 batting average. Again, not impressive, but he's capable of hitting the long ball, which is something that the Marlins could use. And he also plays third base. Not sure how good he is at third, but you could also play him at DH sometimes if he's uh, really bad. But you need more power in this lineup, in my opinion, because really the only true guys who can hit for any power at all are Jazz when he's healthy. He showed a lot of power. Not sure if he'll change his approach when he comes off the IL. And, of course, Solaire and Cooper has have a little bit of power, too. And then Jesus Sanchez, when he's hot, he can hit the ball out. So what do you guys think of Jake Berger maybe being a possible trade target from the White Sox, maybe even getting him in a package with a guy like Lucas Giolito, who you guys also mentioned? I don't know about the package idea. That would take a lot to get. But uh, you're right. They need power. I'm not sure if this is the direction they should go in. Though I'll defer to probably Eli here. Yeah, Berger is an interesting one for sure. He's um, a great story for a guy that was almost off the field for the better part of three years due to injury and then due to COVID as well. And so the raw power is legit from him. Um, The rest of his game is a little bit more questionable. So he's obviously come back down to earth. He's having a great start to the year, but still well above a league average hitter overall. Yeah, the strikeout rate is what concerns you, even uh, even higher than somebody like Solaire, higher than anybody on the Marlins roster. Um, and the home run rate's been terrific. I, I just don't know if that's quite sustainable. If he's not making quite as much contact. It's um, he's he's a guy that I don't think you would you'd bring him in, understanding that he's something less than a, a full time player. Um, he's he's somebody where I guess it's it's a similar mold to somebody we mentioned not that long ago. Eugenio Suarez. I mean, there's some similarities there in terms of what they do well and also kind of what where there's more to be desired with them. He's kind of an incomplete player. Um, but the idea of him being in a package to address another need with on the starting pitching front, I think that is pretty tantalizing. Yeah, where being able, if that's the way that they have to go in order to address multiple areas of the roster at the same time, and they can do it without giving up and any of their really premium trade assets, um, that would be that'd be a really tempting way to go. So I, I like the idea if he is packaged together with a starting rotation depth or even with a catcher, if it's getting, we get further into the year, and it's evident that the catcher, they need to upgrade there, and they get Yasmani Grandal in a rental situation, who I imagine due to the money owed to him, he'd be even cheaper than Giolito in terms of what you have to send back in return, there's some interesting possibilities there. I, I know that the first thing people think about with the White Sox was Tim Anderson, and now that we're pretty deep into the year and he's still struggling, there's there's a lot else on that roster if they decide to sell that I, I think could be a potential fit. 
They've got some talent for sure. It's as strange as they haven't put it all together, but oh well on their end. Sucks for them. Yeah. Uh, thanks to uh, Eli Grant and, of course, Alex for answering my uh, question about hoeing. And, uh, again, I really appreciate what, what all of you guys do. And anyone listening, make sure, again, to become a super subscriber because you get all the perks for starting at just $3 as well. So that's it. I know we got a lot of people in here. So uh, you guys can go to a next uh, speaker. Yes, Thank sir. you, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. very much. What a nice young man. All right. We still got lots of requests. If I don't get to you right away, I'm super duper sorry. I mean, we're going to be here for a minute. I'm going to try and get to everyone who has a question. Next up, we got friend of us, Sean. He is, once again, a, a super subscriber, host of Marlins After Dark. Sean, how are we doing? And what's the question that I... Hey, guys. Doing well? Um, my question's about the man at the hour today, Mr. Perez. And I was wondering, do you think that the Marlins would, I'm not saying that he would take it, but do you think that the Marlins will attempt over the next 365 days or so to make the Braves-type long-term contract offer? And if they did it, do you think it would be possible for them to pull it off without kind of messing up their payroll too much the next few seasons during this window they have where, Arise is cheap and Jazz is cheap and Sandy's still the best one of the best pitching bargains in baseball. Like, do you think they would make that make that offer some seven eight year contract to keep him here long long term? It's definitely a good Craig Mish question, but I will say the the Marlins like to move methodically with their extensions. They like like hyper focus on one guy at a time. I think Arise is probably next up. I don't know if they're going to extend Jazz at this point. Jury's out. Other than that, I mean, they also have to focus on Soler, too, if they want to keep him past this year. I know he's not one of the young guys, but he's on an expiring deal, and surely he will be expensive after putting together a really, really nice season. So I don't know if it's on the agenda for this offseason, but maybe down the line. I don't know. Well, the thinking, the reason Sean brings it up is extend him early before he's completely unaffordable this is the type of player where because of his combination of talent and his age that he is on he's on track to reach free agency gosh gee i can't believe this is accurate but he's going to be reaching free agency as a 26 year old if they don't extend him (laughs) he'll he'll turn 27 a little after that ensuing opening day for a player like that it's it's the jose fernandez situation where they never got particularly close to extending Jose, even though they wanted to, and he was in the same bucket. He was actually just, he was a year even older than, than Yuri was at the time. And they didn't make much progress there. Um, the thing working in their favor is that it's the same agent that represents both Sandy and Yuri. It's, it's the same agency that they deal well with. And they obviously got a favorable deal with Sandy to get that done. Um, I don't know whether that means that they'll be getting favorable terms in this situation as well. You might think the opposite that now, they, they will, in this situation, this separate negotiation, they'll be all the more careful to get something close to his fair market value. Yeah, there's just not a lot of precedent for somebody this young. There have been other guys that pitchers that get extended right at the start of their career. And the most recent example being Spencer Strider getting what was, I think, a was that six year deal for him that at the tail end of it pays him in the mid 20 millions as an average annual value with him. He has a whole, his was six years, 75 million dollars with him 
I could see the Marlins maybe being in that territory, but not going all that far beyond it. Just in general, they're going to be more reluctant to spend on pitching than hitting because of their track record of developing more pitching. They feel like there's going to be, there's always going to be a next wave of arms, even for the very moment where it feels like they're thin on starters. That's just partially because of unfortunate timing with all these young injuries snowballing at the same time. Max Meyer will be back. Jake My- Jake Eater, maybe um, he'll be back to what he used to be by the end of this year, if not early next year. And then Zach Fulton, eventually, eventually most of these guys come back. You know, there's only one Sixto. There's only one guy that just goes off the map and just never reappears. These other guys, even when they have their major surgery, there usually is light on the other side of that if they go through all the necessary steps, especially if they are still so young and still such in good shape, generally speaking. They're going to be reluctant in general just to extend guys. I but definitely under the right circumstances, they they would with Perez for pretty obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean it's something that they should capitalize on. It's just with the way they kind of operated. I didn't know if that was something that they would make a priority this offseason, but if they do, very, very good news. Was that all you had for a shot? Um, well, actually, one more that I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, thanks for that. Uh, I was wondering, just in going back to hoeing and then to Cueto, just do you think out of stubbornness based on the price tag that they consider um, just trying to put Cueto into the hoeing role, like the long man, 26 pitcher on the roster, rather than putting him back into the rotation? and just they better not. Leaving hoeing in because he's earned it and putting trying Cueto out that way? Or is it just start or bust and it's going to be bust? That's a good question. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it. I think if it were me at the helm, I would just put Cueto in for one start, prove it's start against a struggling Cardinals team, and see what he does. But well, why, um, why do you why do you fix something that isn't broken? Like why why do you mess with this rotation? Other I guess other than Sandy, but you don't mess with him either. But why do you mess with this rotation, and especially the back end? Why do you mess with it if it's working? I don't because, because Yuri Cueto. would be Yuri would be done. I guess with the way with, with what Sean's asking, yeah, I don't know why you would mess with it. The hoeing as long as he's still pitching well. But let's just say in the event that Cueto does come back and he's ready next week, I mean. By what other options do you have to fill Yuri's turn in the rotation? Not a lot. I mean, I mean, uh, if they if they are adamant, and apparently they are, if they are adamant on on, on capping Perez, um, which I have my own thoughts about, but I'm sure you guys already talked about it. If they are serious about that, then you have to go somewhere else. Um, it, it can't. It cannot. It cannot be Johnny Cueto. I mean, the guy's giving up four home runs to to AAA hitters. Like, I, I don't understand. Like just because you're paying the guy money, he has to, he has to be on the major league team in the starting role, in the starting position. No, like that's not a winning mentality, and I don't think the Marlins will do that in this situation. They've done that before. I understand that, but they can't do that here. You you cannot give up games just because you're paying a guy a certain amount of money. You cannot give up games, and I think with Cueto, that that's what they would be doing. There's there's just there's nothing left in this arm. It's unfortunate. He's had a good career, a great career actually. He's had a very good career. Um, not a Hall of Fame career, but he's 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 was a good pitcher for a long time. There's there's not anything left. And yes, the Marlins hit it with Guriel. They did not hit it with Segura, and they did not hit it with Cueto. 
and they need to be willing to admit that and live with it. Um, so that that's the mindset that needs to be here right now. If this team is serious about winning, it's not going to be with Johnny Cueto. Yep. What I'll note is what Cueto's strength was last year. I mean, one of the most valuable re- reasons why they were attracted to him is how efficient he was with his pitches and how he was working relatively deep into games. They even suspecting that the quality of those innings would go away. Uh, you know, the hope was that he would be a valuable innings eater. They don't really need him for any other role. They He doesn't have value to them as a long man, as a mop-up guy. They have other guys in their organization at AAA that would make probably better long men mop-up guys. You could go down the list. It could be Emmanuel De Jesus. It could be Devin Smeltzer. It could be Chichi Gonzalez. It could probably be more so than any of those guys, Daniel Castano, once he gets stretched out a little bit more. They have other options for that particular role. Cueto's value was to efficiently get through and outings to have games where he was able to induce soft contact. And he's not doing he's not doing any of that even in these rehab assignments against easier competition. So I I he may get that token start, that prove it start. At most, maybe two prove-it starts. But if he's not performing in that role, I think they're simply going to cut bait. I don't, this is not something they're going to draw out longer than they have to do it because there's so much urgency with every single game to make the most of it. And he, um, they've just they've given this, this long runway to rehab and get back to full strength, and it doesn't seem to have worked. So they're not going. I don't think they're going to deny that for very long if the results are as clear-cut as they've been so far. My, my question on this, Eli, would be, you're coming to a point, and I, I think this is the, the game overall, or the, the thing overall, 162 games, you're coming to a point where, where you really have to look at it as every single game you have to take, like, okay, we're playing for the playoff, we're playing for our playoff lives, because it's not a sure thing still for the Marlins. As good as they're doing, it's not. It's still not a sure thing that, they're, that this team's going to make the playoffs. With the run differential and all the other things that you could talk about, it's still not a sure thing that this team is going to make the playoffs, right? So, do you willingly give up even two games for a guy that you know is done when he's in in AAA and his velo is well down? Yes, I know he's rehabbing. His velo is well down from where it used to be. He's giving up four home runs to AAA bats in a start. Like, why? Why even? Why even do that? Like, I, I don't. I don't see. The logical reason, other than the fact that he's making money, I don't see the logical reason to do that. So that would be my question is, why do you do that versus making room for a guy that is performing and give him his shot, a younger player, to give him his shot? Why why, why do you adamantly go to this guy who you basically know is going to fail? Um, so going to a guy who you pretty much know ain't going to be good, that's not winning baseball, and that's a mistake. All right, we'll go ahead and put a cap around that. Hopefully that answered your your question, Sean. But thank you once again, sir. We will get to some of our requests here, man. We still got a ton of requests. I'm going to try and do my best to get everyone here. We'll go Devin, loyal super subscriber. Loading him in right now. All right, Devin, what's up? And uh, what's your question, bud? Hey, guys. You know, I love to do the uh, the trades. So one, I'll just pitch out to you guys, see what uh... – what the consensus is. I think first base is a need. Um, not a fan of Cooper and Guriel combo as a whole. And I think 
Paul Goldschmidt would be a great option. <laughs> I love going after the Cardinals guys. Yeah, they have a lot of good guys. The team's underperforming. Uh, Paul has one more year left. He's kind of older. Um, Cardinals have other options that they could do at first. Uh, he has a full no trade clause, twenty-two million left. What do you think? Man, Goldschmidt and Arenado probably won't go anywhere unless, like, one of the big dogs goes for Goldschmidt, like Dodgers or Braves or someone like that. I mean, they both have excellent first basemen, so it would be them. But like, you get my point here, like. The, the Marlins are not in a position to take on that deal or give up assets for a position that they're, like, okay at. It's not the biggest need. But, I mean, that would be a huge splash. That would definitely bring some people up to the ballpark. But you would have probably give up a little too much for a goldsmith, especially taking on that contract. And you said it, full no trade clause. Now, is it – I need to double-check that. I know, I know Arenado does – yeah, you're probably right. I just hadn't thought of that because I was looking actually at his, I was double checking to make sure he wasn't a 10 and five guy. He hasn't yet spent five years with the Cardinals. So that is the 10 and five rights. When you spend five full years with the team and have 10 in the league as a whole, then you automatically get full uh, no trade protection. But let me just confirm that with Goldschmidt. Yeah, let's see. War bonus, it is full no trade. Yeah. So so you'd have to be complicit with this about going over. And yeah, the way Devin worded it, I wouldn't say it's a need, but it is an area where they could improve a lot. And I yeah, I would agree that I am not confident in that first base situation moving forward. With Yuli, it's you know, he's been better than I expected. Um, but still there's such an absence of power that you typically want from that position. And with Cooper, he's coming on recently. That being said, um, you just you don't know for one if he's actually going to be on the field. It's just one after another after another with his nicks and bruises that not only do you, there's a question of availability, but a lot of time we see him hog up the DH spot instead of somebody that uh, you would think for a, a team like this that needs a lot of offense, you know, giving the DH spot to a player like Cooper that is kind of in the vicinity of a league average offensive player because of his limited base running and the, the over the fence power comes and goes. Yeah. It's a very, um, it's, it's not a great solution at first base. It's better than replacement level, but there's room to improve. I, I don't think they're going to get Goldschmidt. I do agree though, that that is a position that they could go after. When we bring up somebody like Jaime Candelario, the reason why I like him so much is because he has some first base experience. Even if third base is his primary spot, like I would foresee them getting him some playing time at first, especially against right-handed pitching. So if they could get, especially if they have guys that have multi-position flexibility and some first base experience, I think those fits would be pretty terrific. Um, and I think they're going to be looking at those types of players. Nice. I only got one more option, and I'll keep it, you know, on the first base side. Um, I was looking at a guy we're familiar with on Cleveland. Josh Naylor, um, he's got a ton of time left. Um, he his only full season was really last year, so might be somebody you could potentially buy low on. Um, trying to look for somebody who's power, you know, forward. Uh, yeah, he is a lefty, so Marlins need that. What about that one? Definitely a lot more realistic, I feel like, and being a lefty helps. He's streaky, so it would go with the theme here. But, yeah, you mentioned an old friend. For those who don't know, he was in the system at 
on point, never got to play a major league game with the Marlins, I don't believe. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely more realistic. And Cleveland is in a really weird position where they probably don't have any wild card hopes, but they could still go win their division. seems increasingly likely that Bieber is going to get dealt. And, um, they're, they're in a position to maybe sell off a few pieces. I don't, because of the control, I don't know if that's one that they will. But I am intrigued by the option. It's just a question of what's the price tag. Yeah, he's he's a fun player. He's been. Let me see if I can look at these splits. How good he's been with runners in scoring position this year. That's why he's driven in a lot of runs. Even though that's a stat that has a lot of noise to it, he's been so crucial to the Guardians. I, I yeah, I would be surprised if they moved him. I think the more likely deal they would make would be Josh Bell. Um, considering the money that he's making um, somebody that has frankly higher upside than Naylor does. I mean, Bale, Bale has in the not too distant past. He's been in the first half of last season. Even he was like a more complete all around hitter is, his contact skills for somebody with that raw power. So it makes him so enticing. And obviously he's a switch hitter, not just the lefty. Um, so that's somebody that will be, will be available. And as cheap as the Marlins are, you know, the guardians are even further on that end of the spectrum. Um, so if they would that'd be a situation where if they feel like they're slipping even out of their division or they feel like they want to move around their their expenditures and like spend money elsewhere to tighten up other positions, maybe they want to use Naylor as like their everyday first baseman down the stretch. Uh, Bell is somebody that could be available for a team, especially if they're willing to take on some money. You'd barely be sending much talent the other way at all. So that's a, yeah, that's a that's a sneaky possibility. I, I still think that from the Cleveland perspective, aside from trading pitching, they have excess pitching that they might deal to address their offense. They're kind of in the same. They're kind of in that boat where I, I don't think it's an easy fit, considering that they need all the offense they can get. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Love hearing from Devin. Devin propose a trade idea to get rid of J.J. Bleday when he got traded the same night while it happened. Very cool tidbit there. We'll bring in very, very well-known man in Marlins Twitter, a Marlins fan, Mr. Loud Marlins fan. Chase, how are we doing, and what's your question, sir? I'm a little beat up. My throat's hurting. It's all worth it. Can't really talk much. Wanted to give you guys a shout. I guess if I have a question... Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Eli. It, uh, did Castano uh, pass through waivers, and is he staying with the team? Yes, let me. He passed through waivers. They outrighted him to the minors. I believe he did have the opportunity to elect free agency and become a minor league free agent if he wanted to. But just to confirm for you right now, he is still with the org. He's at AAA Jacksonville. Well, that's good news. Good to have depth if they bring him back and he gets himself right. Again, can't really talk much, but uh, appreciate you guys. And uh, Eli, I sent you a text. Did you get a bobblehead from someone? <laughs> Did I get a bobblehead today? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't at the I wasn't at the game today. Well, I got one for you. Just text me your address. I'll ship it out. So, oh, that's very kind. Get louder, guys, and everyone become a super subscriber. Cheers. Good night. Thank you. Amen to that. Thank you. Now he's got he's got a full week until the next home game to rest up the vocal cords. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He, he's got some time. Maybe he should go to Atlanta. We should send him out there. All right, Eli. I'm gonna let you pick the next person to get in because I feel like we're out of super subscribers. 
surprise me here. We got, we still got some requests. Again, I'm going to try and get to everyone. We're, we're adding friend of the program, Navi, from Marlins Discord. See what's on his mind. All right. Got him loading in right now. Awkward silence for you. We got him loading in, but awesome questions tonight, guys. I love seeing all the support out here um, on these Sunday evenings. I love doing this with you guys. And, um, again, every week we do this. While Eli's phone goes off. All right. Uh, who else do we want to go here? Just Marlins has been requested for quite some time. We'll, we'll bring in this account. All right. How are we doing? And, uh, and what's your question, sir? We have someone on the other line. Yeah, we'll, we'll give Navi another chance as well. Whichever yeah. one of them speaks first is welcome to. We'll bring them both. It's a race to the finish. Yeah, yeah, Navi is messaging me. I elected him. I made you a speaker. Should be all good, but now he's uh, now he's restarting his phone. All right. I'll let you choose another person. We'll just see the first person we, we can get a question from at this point. We'll take anybody. Okay. It, it is an audio medium. You need to speak for it to work. Uh, is, it, right. is, it, is it my turn or is it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Everyone else to it. <laughs> All right. So, um, I don't know if we touched on this yet because I just came in, but um, I guess with the draft coming up and the Marlins having, uh, I'm not saying well, we do have needs. Our, I guess our farm is a hot garbage. But who do you guys see as a pop? Not really a possibility, but I guess a position that we really need to address. Because, in my personal opinion, I'm all for Jazz going back to shortstop. Or if the models do, they can get the many shortstops that are going to be, what, top 15 rated. But I guess, um, do you guys think the models should invest in a power bat outfielder, possibly? Or should they go with pitching and kind of just see what they can do with that? That's a good question. Um, the draft is coming up. I haven't thought too much about it, but um, I think the strategy I think is a shift this year for sure. Whereas just pick the best player available at this point. It, it shot the Marlins in the foot many, many, many times over the last few years. Just take the best available guy. I mean, they did it with Khalil Watson. It hasn't really panned out yet, but that pick surely has received a lot more positive reception than J.J. Bleday and um, Jacob Berry. I mean, Jake, that Jacob Berry pick already looks awful. But with the shortstop thing you brought up, drafting a shortstop in, in the – in the draft is always a good idea because we've seen this with a lot of teams right now, and especially in Cincinnati, it is good to have a surplus of shortstops because typically your most athletic defender is usually a shortstop, maybe center field. I mean, it's kind of subjective, but if you're playing shortstop, you're probably a good defender. You could really go play anywhere. So you might not think it's shortstop, but Hey, down the line, if you draft the shortstop and in two years, he's ready to come up, but you have, uh, you need someone to play second base or third base or outfield. They can go there. So defensively, um, I think that works out. But ultimately, I would like to see the Marlins just 
take whoever's the best available player on the board this year. Yeah, and I would say more specifically, if there's an opportunity to, considering the, the state of their farm system where it's just thin on really standout guys that are even projected to be starters at the next level, I would think that it's a decent opportunity with their first round pick to find a high a prep player, a high school player, and get them under slot in order to save money to get more impactful players in the later rounds. Meaning like an, a reverse Khalil Watson situation where Khalil was actually a high school guy, but he was he valued himself so much higher than their draft position that they paid him over slot. They didn't have a whole lot left for the rest of their draft class. And and Watson still has a little bit of hope. Our, our buddy Alex Carver has Khalil as now the best prospect in the organization once Yeri officially graduates. And but outside of that, that draft class hasn't given them a whole lot else because of how much of their allotments, all, all how much of their total bonus pool they had to dedicate to one guy. I'd like to see them, if it makes sense, you know, pick out a player that is going to likely sign under slot for that pick in order to save money for later rounds. Um, and so that's not, it's not a sexy way to go because it's, it's, it's different than best player available. It would be kind of the, the other, the other side of that, where instead of going with the guy that you feel most confident and maybe making it, um, you give yourself like several good bites of the apple by, you know, saving money to spend on your subsequent picks. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, cause like I've been looking at the draft just to see like who the Marlins, cause I don't want the Marlins to like reach for somebody but there's always a possibility that certain players might fall like you know many one of the high schools and i mean like if in the rare case that i don't know walker jenkins magically fell i would say the marlins would take should take him because i mean good outfielder good defensive outfielder who can hit but again like looking at the draft there's just not enough good uh positions of need but if the models do have to take a i guess best player available i guess it makes sense what, what i would say uh honestly uh and to, to eli's point about khalil um i do think that he is the best position player in the marlin system uh right now and just because of the raw skill set and i think he's starting to show it i mean the guy has like what four home runs in his last few games um i think he's going to start to show it as long as his mind can stay straight so that's what I would say, uh, as long as the mic can stay, you know, where it is right now, and as long as he can continue to, you know, admit that he has the ability to fail, uh, which was a problem last year, as long as he can keep his mind right, as long as he can keep his mind straight, he's going to be good. Um, but I'll have more on that coming out on, on Fish Off First soon about, about me and Daniel's uh, Top 100, which came out just recently. Um, so I'll have more on that soon. But um, to, your, to Eli's point and to what you guys were saying about this upcoming draft, I mean – what I would say, honestly, is I think they're going to go under slot with, with many of their picks to where, you know, yes, I, I do agree with what Grant said, that they want to try to take the best player available. You don't really draft for positional need. Um, that's not really the route that this team has ever gone with the draft. They're not going to go out and get a bunch of players that they need at the, at the, at the major league level or at the position that they're at. They're going to go out and get players who they think are projectable. Um, and I think that's the right way to go. I don't think that drafting the best player available is the wrong way to go. Actually, I like that strategy. But their ability to pick out 
the best player available in these last few drafts, with the exception of Khalil Watson, because I thought that he was definitely the best player available, um, is they sometimes pick the wrong guy. So that's that's um, that's the issue, uh, or has been the issue in, re- in recent drafts. Hopefully they rectify that here. But I, I would agree, though, that I think they will go under slot with a lot of these picks to spread the money around. Um, maybe they go with one over slot guy and then the rest under slot. But I would expect in this draft, in a full draft, I would expect a lot of guys that they go with that are going to be um, going to be under slot guys that they get um, that they like. Um, maybe maybe at a, at a deal um, is what I would say to where they can spread the pool around. That would be my guess. Um, I can't give you exact names, but um, that would be that would be my guess for the strategy. But I do think they will still continue to go with best player available. That's what DJ has always done. It's worked in terms of Khalil before that. Not really. Um, so they just, I, I think it's just a scouting thing. Honestly, I think it's just um, who is, who really is the best player, I think is really what's held them up. So we'll see how they do this year, man. Um, it's going to be fun though. The draft is always fun. I'm sure people that know a lot more about the draft than me, such as Aram and Ian Smith and all of those guys will be all over it. So uh, I encourage you guys to follow them. If you're, if you're clued into the draft, I encourage you guys to follow all of them. They're usually right on a lot of what they say. They know a lot more than me and a lot more than, than many of us that are in this space. So follow those guys. They'll have it covered. But um, hopefully they do better this year than they have done in years past. Agree. Any other questions? Uh, do you mind if I chime in, guys? Go ahead. Go ahead. We're waiting on you. All right. Sorry, guys. So I just want to, I guess, unload some things that, that are on my mind because we have a huge series coming up in Atlanta. And how wonderful would it be, or how how energizing would it be if this team would make a trade right before that Atlanta series to kind of bolster the team up as we go in with the healthy Jazz, with a new player, a trade possibly. I mean, Miami's amazing right now. The way, the energy. I went to the um, game this weekend. It was pretty awesome to be there. I'm sure if you were there, you'd agree. But there's so many different directions that this team could go come this trade deadline that really the one thing that i know i can't expect is to expect something unexpected with this front office because whenever they've made a trade there's like things that are from left field you know and it kind of like i really don't know what to expect so when even though we see a lot of availability out there in terms of free agents or possible not free agents trades and whatnot i want to also remember what this team typically does it surprises us so I have no idea which direction the team's going to go. But what I do, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be something that we're not expecting because I really enjoy the way they think. They think of spreading the talent around, not so much high ceilings, raising the floor. I mean, if you look at the types of guys that they've kind of focused on, guys that aren't superstars, but they're not going to strike out. So what I'm saying is just let's be mindful of what we've seen this front office do with the last couple of trade deadlines and the free agency, but expect the unexpected guys. I can tell you that, and I'm out. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's, yeah that's, that's a very uh, – yeah, I, I like that mindset to go into the trade deadline. I'll just be frank that I think Kim's worst work for the most part has come at the trade deadline the last couple of years. The one shining example of positivity of cleverness was getting Lozardo, obviously, from the A's for Marte when they know that they weren't going to resign Marte and that they kind of bought low on Lizardo for somebody that had such immense talents. And it took half a season to get that 
calibrated the way that they wanted to. And then since then, he's been really good for them. And that's been such a big value to them, considering uh, the circumstances they were in at the time. But then even the rest of that deadline, and even last year, last year was a huge letdown at the deadline, uh, where it was, I'd, I'd agree that it was unexpected, because we expected them to do more of a shakeup at that moment. As it turns out, they kind of passed it more towards the offseason. That was, uh, they put themselves in a position to have, that was a pretty ugly second half of last year because of how little they did to change the the mix of players that they had in 2022. They only made that one deal to get Jordan Groshans for a couple of relievers. And that looked kind of clever at the time. And now a year later, Groshans has kind of stalled completely. And that's a bit of an understatement where this is a team that needs offense. And they thought he was going to be a relatively high floor guy that at least got his fair share of singles. And now they don't even trust him to get a cup of coffee at the big league level at a time where they have a big void at third base. So like that deadline was somewhat of a dud as well. This one, I'll just say it's going to be different. It is going to be, it's coming from such a different perspective than the previous two, where no matter how things go over the next month, like they should feel empowered to make short-term upgrades to this team because of how surprisingly winnable the wild card spots are in the national league this year compared to expectations and the reason why they're not going to make that trade this week is I think it is important for them to get as much time as possible to determine which to like set of priorities in terms of which of these positions is most important to address. Like there are, they could upgrade at a lot of different positions, basically everywhere except for second base, they could look into bringing major league ready additions in order to share them up on both offense and defense. Um, so there are a lot of directions they can go but they need to let this play out a little bit more to decide exactly which one of those spots is they're going to get the most extra value from, whether it is at catcher or third base or at shortstop or even just a general bat in particular that they can float in, in the in at the DH spot if they feel that it's somebody that has enough overall impact in their bat to help them out there, or whether it's at rotation depth. They need to let it play out a little bit more with Brian Hoeing and to get on the same page internally as to what exactly the plan is for Perez and exactly how much how much gas they think he has left in the tank for the second half of the season, they could go in that direction once they huddle up and think about it. That is going to be a big series, and uh, you're right that there is the um, as as positive, as energetic as things are right now, the enthusiasm level is going to reach a new peak if they somehow win that series they're not going to make a trade specifically to win that series. They're going to have to trust the guys that they have right now. They're going to have, they're going to find out jazz in particular is going to be such a key piece of this over the next month is seeing how close he is to his all-star form or how close he is to the April jazz where he was a liability offensively. Um, They need that time to let this play out. And thankfully they've built themselves a little bit of a cushion in those races where they don't have to panic and, and make a move. Agreed. All right. We'll go ahead and try and get some more people in here. Appreciate that question. Navi is going to try again. Third time is the charm for Navi. Top of my screen says Navi can now speak. There we go. All right. Okay. There we go. I'm so sorry for earlier. My phone glitched out or something. Um, I have no questions. I have two comments. Uh, one is a correction, and the other one is my thoughts on the previous topic. Um, 
Lewis isn't here to hear this, but um, if any team that acquires uh, Lucas Chiolito or any player at the deadline via trade cannot offer that player a qualifying offer, that is the, part of the rules of how that works. So, uh, like when he said earlier that if they acquire um, Lucas Giolito, it's a six month, it's a three month rental. Um, like at the, at the end of the year, you can offer him a QA, get a draft pick back if he walks. That's not the case. A player has to be on the same team for an entire season to be able to be eligible for a QA. They're also ineligible uh, if they previously received a QO, but um, obviously that's not the case with uh, Giolito. Just a correction, uh, I, I think it's important to make sure that everyone understands the rules and that everyone knows misinformation is not getting access on the spread. Um, so just for everyone who's listening, that's how uh, qualifying offers work. Um, my second comment, um, I'm not trying to be uh, guess the right move, guess the right uh, thing that the team or, or, or skip or the front office is going to do. It's just how I feel that I enjoy the game as a spectator and what I would do as the manager. Uh, going back to the conversation about where to put Jazz in the lineup, um, I'm going to agree with I'm going to agree with uh, Noah on this that you can't split up um, one two arise um, solar. Uh, I think I've been on the one two arise solar since before the season started or right as the season started. Um, what I would do is because I'm a really big fan of this. I like what um, uh, Skip is attempting to do right now by having uh, Birdie or sometimes Hampton play uh, batting ninth. I love the idea of a second leadoff hitter. If the inning ends around like, the 6th, 7th, 8th, better, you have a second leadoff hitter. Uh, like having Jazz in there, he can get on base, he can steal. Uh, he'll, be on, he'll be running or, or, or you know, a threat to run with, with a rise behind him and silver behind him. And it takes him out of the high pressure of... Um, you know, batting at the top of the order, he did go on Twitter saying, I'm not a cleanup hitter. You know, I'm a, I'm a fast guy who's batting for something like that. I don't remember the exact tweet. So I know it takes a uh, batting ninth, the lower you bat, the less amount of, of plate appearances you get on average over the course of the season. But it's not like he was, you know, blowing up the, the thing. He was batting like 216, barely getting on base, under 350, I think. So I like the idea of putting it at least to start. Jazz in a ninth, having a second leadoff uh, role. If you guys want to chime in on that, well, I mean, I, I think you bring up some pretty good points. I, I would agree. I'm watching Jazz right now. He's doing an Instagram live video, and um, yeah, he has very short hair. It's even shorter than usual. That's my report on Jazz. Very, very insightful. Uh, <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah, he, he's he's in he's sitting down on some type of a couch or something. I obviously can't listen to the audio now while we're talking right here. But yeah, we we expect him we expect him back on Tuesday. We, we're gonna find out very soon what he brings to this equation. Tuesday is your, is your target date, we suspect. He will be on the road trip. You got any other questions, Mr. Navi? Nope. You know, I can talk for hours, but I'm not going to try to argue with Alex or anyone. Um, Alex, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have any I don't have any questions. So it's just the two comments I want to say for. Oh, so we have our correspondent. We're going to bring in, we can bring in Jose in here because he says he's listening 
to this right now that he is already in Boston. Is that right? Jazz is saying he's already in Boston. Um, hey guys, how you doing? Yes, I was here, and he's uh, he said he's in Boston. He's asking for a place to eat. <laughs> okay, okay, there you have it. Yeah, he's, he does that. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good segue into if you have a question or not. So Jazz is in Boston. He's asking for a place to eat. Yeah, uh, I've never been in Boston, so I can't help out with that. But I do have a question. Um, what do you guys think about Cody Bellinger? I actually had uh, so we're we're gonna do our series of articles on uh, trade targets here, and I actually put down Cody Bellinger's name. He's the only name I put down. I like him as the idea. Marlins almost traded for him last year to deadline, but here's the thing is the Cubs are surging right now, and I don't know if the, the Cubs would deal him. He is on that one-year deal, so um, I, I think he is. Uh, I hope that's right, at least. If not, apologies. But um, it becomes an interesting option. It just kind of depends on what the Cubs do in the next few weeks, but I would take him. He, he's pretty versatile in the outfield, DH, whatever. I mean, he, he can do a lot of different things. He, he would be a nice addition. He can also play first. Yeah, the Cubs have been playing him there. I, I mean, I wasn't paying too much attention to what the defensive linemen the Cubs were using up until about a week or so ago, talking to some Cubs fans recently. And, yeah, he'd be nice to cycle in there for the next inevitable Cooper injury. Although he's already gotten his, his main IL sent out of the way. Maybe he'll, he'll just like get another baby one. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, my follow-up question what do you guys think about Dane Myers? He's tearing up AAA right now. I saw Craig talk about him right now on Twitter, saying that um, Segura, it looks like Segura's going to get another shot, and then he's up next if Segura doesn't fix himself um, this month that's coming up. Surprised it's the first we've heard of him, but I, I'd be really surprised if they cut bait with Segura, just like with how hard-headed they kind of are with some of these signings, but Dane Myers has definitely done enough to, to prove he deserves a chance 100%. I, I think He's this year's Charles LeBlanc, basically, and uh, I think he deserves a shot. Well, that's what I was saying like a few weeks ago, but what he's done since going up to Jacksonville, that's he's taking it to another level. This is a hot streak that is is pretty rare, what Dane is doing. He continues, what is he hitting now after today's game where he did even more? He's OPSing like 1,300 over the span of two and a half weeks. Like that, That's a pretty rare hot streak that he's had. Um there are some similarities to LeBlanc where, yeah, I think it is more of a hit tool over power. And he, there's obviously a big question of how exactly it's going to translate, but the quality of contact is what sticks out most of all with him. The quality of contact is great and it's better than Segura by a pretty big margin. And it's a guy who plays, he can at least fake it at multiple positions. I haven't been thrilled with his defense at third base in particular, talking about Myers here, but the fact that he can play, the outfield spots and he can play at first base as well. Um, yeah, we're coming up pretty soon on him forcing his way up because this is not just the, the best performing hitter in the organization this year, but now he is kind of lapping the field with what he's done the last few weeks. It's crazy. I mean, the, the, the projection of that guy and, and the way that he has, has dealt with his career is insane. The guy just started hitting baseballs regularly two years ago. Like, that's 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 crazy. I mean, he was pitching. He was a pitcher. Uh, he came up as a pitcher. He was always a pitcher. And now he's he's hitting and he's he's performing. And it's, it really is encouraging. I talked to him a little bit in spring training. He loves the warmer weather. Um, he, he really does. I'm glad that he didn't go to Beloit. 
thankfully, um, because they didn't belong there anyways. But I'm glad he didn't go to a colder weather climate because I think the warmer weather is also helping him out. So it, it's really cool to see this guy succeeding the way that he is. Um, and I think there's more in the tank. I really do. As, as, as this guy continues to get used to hitting regularly and, and, and fielding positions regularly, um, I think there's there's more to come from Dane Myers. So it really is cool. Um, it's like Eli said, it's more than a hot streak now. This guy is proving that he's he's carving out a role for himself on a big league roster. And it really is really cool. So it's awesome to see from him. I'm glad to see this. He's a fun prospect to follow. He's a super nice guy. So I'm super excited to see what this player does in the future because it's, it's, it's definitely um, a fun dude to follow. Agreed. Any other questions, sir? Good to go for now. Um, just wanted to laugh a little bit about the Mets. They blew another year. <laughs> they talk a lot of shit on Twitter the last couple of years. So, just, you know, want to laugh a little bit with about the disasters this year so far. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been crazy to see what, how little they've done with that payroll. But I, me personally, I've never really had a problem with Mets fans on the app. I'm done with Braves fans. I, I've had it. I'm ready for this weekend series. I, I, I'm done with the Braves fans. But, uh, I mean... It's good to see the Marlins succeeding in the NL East, nonetheless. So, uh, Jose, we appreciate it. Um, we'll go ahead and find another speaker here. Our friend Cole's been requested for a long time, so definitely get to him. I'm trying to get to everyone. We've been live for over two hours now, so if you sat through this whole thing, thank you very much. I'm not trying to wrap up just yet, but I will do what I can to get to every question. So, Cole, how are we doing, and, and what's your question? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for letting me jump on. Uh, so, first question. Um, do you think any of our relievers have an all-star case? So we discussed earlier, we think some yes. do have an all-star case, but uh, just the way that it's going to pan out with every team needing uh, a player represented, that kind of defers to some of the, the teams with worse or records. Um, I think we know that Alexis Diaz and David Bednar will definitely go. And then after that, Eli threw out one more name. It's, it's just going to fill in otherwise, and it's going to probably be starter-heavy. I, I think that Nardi, um, Puck, Lewis mentioned Stephen Okert, even um, – even, uh, Tanner Scott was looking good until this past week. I was going to say Scott. That's what I was thinking of. And then he blew the save, and that was, yeah. uh, was not great. Yeah. What, what else? I, I was more skeptical than these guys. I don't think any of them are really have a path there. And, and Puck is – you just see it every single year where you have to be closing games or you have to just be exceptionally amazing at preventing runs. Like all these guys have ERAs in the low twos or the mid twos, and that's awesome. But – there's so few spots that go to relievers these days. And when it comes to the all-star situation, it leans more heavily starters than it used to. And those, you know, those three guys that are kind of penciled in uh, Alexis Diaz, Josh Hader, David Bernard. I don't think I mentioned Devin Williams. I think Devin Williams is going to get in again, even though he had, yeah, Devin Williams too. I, I think those four are all ahead of the Marlins guys. So it's a quite a bit of injuries or it would just zero margin for error over the next, week and a half for those guys. Yeah, I, I'd be shocked if any of them squeezed on. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want them to undersell just how great the Marlins bullpen has been this year, that 100%. Okay, next question. Uh, just throwing out some, some trade candidates here. Uh, the Angels organization and their catchers. Now, they have Matt that face, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, 
He's, I think, their number one. He plays catcher primarily, but he can also play first and third. He has a one war on the season so far, hitting above 270. Not sure what the asking price on him is, but his backup is old friend uh, Chad Wallach, and he's on my. He's like earning like basically the minimum, and the price on him, I imagine, would also be pretty low. It, not that he's had a world beating season, but I think he would be plug and play better than Stallings. You're right on the latter there, but the Angels, I believe, hold a playoff spot right now. So it would depend on what would happen in the next few weeks, and they have the biggest question of all questions for a very long time to answer this offseason. What do you do with Shohei Otani? So it's, it's going to be an interesting deadline for them and how they prepare for that. If they even dump them off this deadline, I've seen talk about that. I don't think they do it, but I've seen talk about it. But now I think it's, it's a realistic option. We keep looking at the catcher options. We're trying to think outside the box as well, looking at guys kind of like not routing down a AAA, but knocking on the door and clearly uh, pass their time there. So uh, I'm not opposed to that at all. It's a good option. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that happening. The Angels are a team that just made two trades to get Eduardo Escobar and Mike Moustakas. They're grabbing everything they can off the shelves to plug holes. They, they have so much invested on like squeezing into the playoffs this year, probably almost as much as any other team, just considering that if they don't make it this year, when are they going to make it? So I, I just have a hard time seeing them moving anybody from their major league roster, at least right now. I mean, maybe the picture looks a little bit different a couple of weeks from now, um, if the Marlins do make a trade for the catcher, I have to think it's somebody that is uh, somebody more significant to, to justify cutting bait on Stallings if they have to do that or banishing him to the Phantom IL or something. I, I imagine it would have to be a more, uh, no offense to, to Wallach in the year that he's having, but I, I think it's going to have to be a bigger splash than that in order for them to um, yeah, feel that it's worth all the trouble to do it. Oh, thanks for having me. I guess one last little bit, not quite a question, more trash talk. How much longer do you think Buck Showalter makes it on the Mets? I don't know. You got to ask Frank Fleming that one. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a Marlins fan, a Marlins fan, a Mets fan that I, I trust very much who did describe today as the type of game that gets managers fired. It was that bad um, coming all, on the way that it is snowballed on top of the other similar losses that they've had. I, I can't believe we're at this spot, not even halfway through the year with him, like considering how much he was beloved just last year over there and considering the decades of being a really well-respected manager. That, it's, it's amazing that we're in this situation, but we are in this situation where they're nine games behind the Marlins um, and there's really no, there's no clear evidence that things are turning around for them. Yeah, I, I think it's now almost more likely than not that they let him go at some point in the middle of this year, unless they really catch fire all of a sudden. It has gotten that bad where um, they, it's funny. It is funny, uh, unfortunately, to to laugh at their misery after investing as much as they did in this team. Yeah, they're definitely in a little mixed territory. You can't be there with uh, their payroll this year. No doubt about it. Well, Cole, thank you very much. Uh, we'll move on. Thanks for here. Hopefully, I didn't cut him off. Apologize if I did. The the Cole. Um, this gentleman's been requested for a while, so uh, we'll, we'll answer his question here while we load him in. Starting to get a little bit lower on on questions or, or requests. So, uh, anyone who still has one, uh, go ahead and 
request, kind of a last call here. Um, hey, what's like up? To yeah, go ahead, sir. What's up, guys? All right, so everyone's talking about what we should be buying at the trade deadline. I think we should do a little bit of selling at the trade deadline, too. When you look at a guy like Braxton Garrett, he doesn't really fit into our long-term plan at pitcher. I mean, we got Alcantara, Perez, Luzardo, Cabrera, Rogers, Meyer, Eater. If you can flip him, I mean, to me, it'd be selling high. Um, I would target a team like the Reds, try to go get a guy like Noel V. Marte or, Chris, or uh, Arroyo, and try to get a shortstop and a bat, high upside bat. We need to get some high upside bat into this, into this organization. What do you guys think? I am tantalized with what the Reds have. I live in Cincinnati, so I hear about it every single day. And they do have a lot of surplus of, of bats to uh, to look at. I mean, but, you got McLean, Dela Cruz. Yeah. Got, only even five. Jonathan India. Maybe Jonathan India would be available because they got guys coming behind them that might be better. You know? Right, right. And one problem, though, is the more and more I realize if the Reds are really going to go for this thing, they're not going to trade major league talent. And I think the Marlins are in a similar situation where if they're really going to go for this thing, you can't trade major league talent with pitching, especially with all the injuries. But also, if you do trade Braxton right now, it is capitalizing on peak value, right? In a month, it's going to look different, though. Rogers will be close to coming back. Cabrera will be back. Eater might be ready in a month. You know, it'll look completely different, I think, in a month. And, I mean, you still got a guy like Brian Hoings pitching great you know, you know i'd be selling high on braxton garrett he's not a long term if you were to rank him on the list of pitchers i just named he'd be like seventh or eighth on guys that i'd want i'd keep it below meyer he'd be below eater in my opinion it's it throws in another couple good starts i don't know how you do it but like you can't do that i mean unfortunately I, I know what you're saying is that you want to maximize value so i get it it's a guy that doesn't throw 90 miles an hour but with Sandy not performing well, and Yuri apparently heading back to the minor leagues, or at least into a lower, a lesser role than the starting position, you can't trade the, the, the best pitcher in your rotation. That you can't do that on a winning team. Um, in years past, and it would have it would have been a sell low on Braxton as early as this offseason. It would have apparently been a sell low on Braxton, according to what he's become. But at this point, right now, it's just not the right time for the Marlins to trade him because they're trying to win games, and Braxton Garrett's the main guy that's doing that for them every five days. You can't trade him. I've got the same philosophy you do. Like I, I've tried to trade Edward Cabrera on these weekly spaces like a few times now, but uh, it, they hate it when I do it. But you, you I like Braxton, you like Braxton over. You like Braxton over Cabrera? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I think Cabrera's yes. going to go to the bullpen here soon. I think yeah. he will. You just like trade starting pitching right now. I, I think that's where you. you yeah, I mean everybody's all pitcher, in. I think, and not to throw. The, I the only pitcher don't you trade right now is Pat. Is is Pat Monteverde? I think him, and you you look in the minor leagues. I think that's the best route right now. Daniel, You're don't throw, not Daniel, blow it up. Kevin, don't say that. Don't don't I do am, that, to my I'm, boy Pat. I don't disagree I with you, but don't say it. I know, I know, I know. I feel bad for your boy, but it makes sense. I guess what it is is I'm just not as all in. I think the team is doing great. I think we have a great core. Pitching or not dominating pitching for the next six, seven, eight years. I think we should be trying to flip some of these non-long-term assets and get some get some hitting into the system so we can be good progressively for the next five years. And, and like even with a guy like Soler, like I like Soler. He's the only power in our lineup, but he's a free agent next year. Yes, you might get a comp pick for him, but, man, if you can flip him for some nice pieces, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't see anything that this team can do to be like a legitimate World Series contender. When you look at teams like the Braves, Dodgers, like we could we could squeak into the playoffs and it'll be fun. And I think we could squeak into the playoffs with even trading a guy like Braxton Garrett or trading for him. So I still think you can make up a little bit of it. I mean, it's not like the offense is scorching anything right now, you know? So And we're winning games just by, you know, out-pitching teams. So if you keep the core pitching together, you can still be good and maximize these values. I think right now the two most sellable pieces are the ones on expiring contracts, and that's Garrett Cooper and Joey Wendell. And not even then, I think they'll trade both of them. I think they'll trade one, if I had yeah. to guess. And those are the tradable pieces. I, I would not look at the starting pitching right now in the major leagues and say those guys, one of those guys will get dealt by the deadline. I, I just don't think it makes sense with not only how inconsistent some of these guys have been with, it, you know, mainly Sandy and Edward, but... Man, Braxton's been your best pitcher. When you've needed this guy, I'm you, not denying you've gotten him. Yeah, and you can't trade, and you can't trade him. You just, you just can't. It doesn't make he's sense right been, now. It would be. He's definitely been. He's been great for sure, and he has pedigree as a first round pick. It's not like this should be a surprise. He's, you know, I just think we have guys with more upside long term. You know, and I think that would be a good piece. I mean, if you can get a guy like Noel V. Marte, and he can maybe be your shortstop at third base in the future. Here's, here's the problem. With that, though, and I do like Marte, but the problem there is the Marlins' outlook right now. Kim is on her last year of her deal. You can't really, it would not make sense to trade someone in Major League Baseball right now for a prospect because it's just not the Marlins' outlook right now. The Marlins need to be all in the next two, three years. And yeah, it'd be important to build back up the farm, but they have to go all in. Kim's not going to lead another rebuild. She won't trade a major league piece for a minor league piece right now. Noel Marte won't come up until halfway through next year, no matter where he's at. It's, it's just not going to happen. And if you're trying to trade Braxton, let's say you absolutely have to, you go try and train for a major league piece because a minor league piece isn't going to go help the team win. And I kind of disagree with what you said about uh, they, they aren't going to win a World Series. I think we saw last year with what the Phillies did as a six seed. Like, if you get into the playoffs, anyone can win it at this point with just how it's structured now. And especially with how Miami's built their rotation in their bullpen, I think they could definitely last in the playoffs and uh, maybe make a run if they get there. But that's so far down the road, I won't worry about it too much. Point is, though, you can't trade major league pitching for the minor league assets. That, that would be suicide to your season. Do, do you guys think we have our shortstop of the future in the system right now? I know some people like Nasim Nunez, great defender. I don't think he'll ever hit enough. And I just don't see... Khalil Watson's not going to play short. Jazz is not going back to short. We don't have any. I mean, Amaya, he might be a good utility player. I don't really see him being like a. I don't think we have like a legitimate shortstop in the system. And I think why, that's I'll throw it back to you with a clarifying question. Why, or, or a follow up question, I guess I should say. Why can't Khalil Watson play shortstop? I just don't think that they think he can play shortstop. Has he been. I mean, he's, he's, played, he's played there all year. He's, he, that's yeah. the only position he's played. I think sparingly at second base, but that's pretty much the only position he's played. Yeah, I, I feel like the long-term view was to make him a second baseman. But, hey, if he could play short, that'd be great. I mean, you know, I know he started hitting recently, but he's been looking like a bust for the whole beginning of the year. So hopefully he can keep it up. But, I don't know, defensively, you think he can play short? I would say yes, and I would yes. agree that he's looked like a bust all year. He had a great start to the year. He got injured. He had an ankle injury. He missed like a week and a half, mm-hmm. or at least a week. Um and his mind, his mind, like I said before, his mind is right now. He's playing the game the right way. He's doing. He's so young. He's and so he's still young. very, very young. Is absolutely yeah. right. And so, once Yuri graduates tomorrow from uh, the prospect list, 
Khalil Watson becomes the number one prospect in the system, according to Mr. Alex Carver over here. But I would agree. I, I think he is the best prospect in the system once Barry graduates tomorrow. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for the guy. I watched him a few games in Jupiter last year, and it was he definitely didn't have his head in the game, you know? So, well, you're right. No, you're, you're 100% right. You're, last yeah, year, he you're did right. not. Yeah, you're so right. Last year was, was a disaster. It was not good. Um, sorry, Kevin. Last year was a disaster. It was not good. Um, I've, I've, out, I've, I've, I've laid that out plainly. Um, you're 100% right. That Jupiter last year was, was not good for him. He got sent home. There's a reason behind that. You guys all know what it is. Multiple reasons behind that. Yeah. Um, this year looks a lot better. Um, it looks like he's taking the right steps that he needs to take. The reports that I get are good. They've only had him at shortstop most of the time, if not all of them. I think it's most of the time. I think they maybe put him at second base once or twice. But this guy is, is, is improving, and he's showing the level of maturity, at least on an increased basis, that you need from a player like this, a top, top pick, a top guy that you want to see succeed. He's showing plus contact. He's doing well lately. Um, he's gotten streaky. Yes, you're right. But he's also playing in cold weather, uh, at least to begin the season. And he's playing in a pitcher-friendly environment still. So, I mean, I, I, honestly, I really think with, with what he's showing lately, this is a guy to really look at and get excited about. And, yes, I do 100% think he can stick at shortstop. He's made some ridiculous plays there. The play he got hurt on was fabulous. Unfortunately, he got injured on it, but it was amazing. So, this, this guy is, is, is solid, and as long as he can keep his head in the game, like you just said, and and stay as far away from last year as possible, like you just said as well, this guy is good. And I do do honestly think he has the best raw tools in the system, better than Victor Mesa Jr. Victor Mesa Jr. very good. He, this guy is, is, is better if he can put it all together. So, yes, this guy is for real. And a realistic timeline for him is like middle next year sometime maybe? Yeah, I would say after that, I'd probably say sometime in 2025, honestly, unless maybe next September, maybe. Interesting. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you very much here. Uh, we'll, we'll move along. Bring in Angel Izquierdo in to, that comes to speak with us. Got him connecting in. It's, it's been a long one. If we're still going here in a little bit, it might just bring in everyone. Well, one more thing. Head. One more thing, Grant, to call out really quickly, just for that last speaker. Um, it was a good question, by the way, but just for the last speaker that spoke, um, I asked a couple questions in, in spring training about prospects to to Skip Schumacher, who was constantly out on the backfield. I asked him about the Mesas. He didn't really have much to say. I asked him about a couple other guys. I think yeah, I've seen some pluses, some some not so much pluses. But, you know, but the main guy, the main guy that he pointed out as the best guy that he saw on a consistent basis from what he saw in spring training was Khalil Watson. And that, that, that there's something to be said for that as well. Absolutely. So we brought in Angel. He is part of, uh, part of the Marlins at work. So, uh, Angel, what's up and how's your night been? Hopefully we've got him on the other line. If not, we'll, we'll get another question here real quick. Brain Sharif. To let us know he, he would be here tonight. I asked a really good question last week. One of my favorite questions we, we've had on here just about Sandy's struggle. So, uh, Sharif, how are you tonight, and uh, and what's your question? Good night. Yeah, hope everyone is doing well. Um, appreciate everyone's takes, and, uh, of course, the continued great coverage by the team here. Um, yeah, um, 
everything is dwindled down to me just for Sandy because, um, you know, I I look at Brian Owings and, and I look at his session with Mel, uh, I think it was earlier this week, where he added a new change. And I'm, I'm trying to make an analogy for Sandy here where if Brian Hoeing could go in and add a new changeup, I know I know you guys noticed it, this game. Uh, why the hell can't Sandy just work in his new curve, change change speeds of the eyes of the righties? Because a curve coming in at seventy five, as opposed to his changeup coming in at eighty nine, and he's trying to overpower people at ninety nine, is not working. It's not. And so my thing is, um, if you watch Braxton Garrett once again, it's the beauty of putting these pitches into a teacup. No, it's not blowing you away or intimidating you, but the slider is landing at the bottom of the knees of the righties. The curve is landing right in front of the, the lefties at their knees, and he's putting these pitches exactly where he wants. And Sandy's right there cheering them on, but he can't see. He needs to make these adjustments that these young pitchers are making. So I want I want to know <clears throat> you guys take on that because to me it's foolish. It's it's just plain foolish going down the road of I'm gonna intimidate everyone and blow them away. It's not working, Sandy. Um yeah, I'll let you like take this one back to the mayor. They really should at this point, especially in his last Post game session this past start, like the frustration has reached a new level with him. And you'd think that this deep into the year, after this many starts, with only a precious few of those starts being like start to finish at the level of performance that he expects of himself, that he would be, and that the team itself would be open minded to making those adjustments to his pitch mix and to his overall attack plan against these hitters. Not, not necessarily even trying to replicate what he did last year, but as you point out, even looking for um, making a, a counter adjustments the way that hitters are going after him. And yet it has not happened. Um, I'm just as perplexed as everybody. I, I still maintain that kind of the biggest factor in his struggles has been the rule changes to get rid of infield shifting, as well as the caliber of fielders behind him, just not being the same as it was a year ago. So therefore the balls that are being put in play just aren't being turned into outs the same way that they were a year ago. And then beyond that, I think that's still pretty low on my list of priorities in terms of his pitch usage, that if, if the defense were better behind him, if the luck evens out and if he himself, um, there's just, there's a certain intangible here with the way that he is processing runners on base that once runners get on base, things kind of snowball on him and you see it in the decisions that he makes when, in terms of holding runners, and what he does when he's fielding the ball himself, and in the conviction or lack thereof of some of the pitches that he throws in those situations, all that ties to these these pretty drastic splits between when one runner gets on, things kind of unravel. I just think, broadly speaking, that the pitch usage isn't a huge factor behind this, and that's still relatively low on the list, but ultimately if the defense isn't improving behind him and if he still has this, some sort of mental block in terms of what happens when runners get on base, then I do would, I would expect eventually during the season that they make those 
changes in his pitch usage because they need to do something. They can't tot- They can't let this entire season slip away out of stubbornness. Um, well, well, what I'm noticing is the hit to right field. Um, and so, I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I watch every game. And, and the thing, your, your four-seamer should, of course, we all know the four-seamer is a very straight pitch. It should land exactly where you um, located. The two-seamer runs into the righties. What he's trying to do with that, and, and, and the changeup can't change because people can see the two-seamer. So the changeup isn't a changeup anymore, right? So he's trying to do that, and they're just hitting it to right field. They're just hitting it over uh, uh, Louis' head. And, and, and if you look at everything about it, it, it so holding the runners, to me, it's not, a, it's, it's, it, it's not affecting him as much as Let's just, let's just hit it. Even if he tries to keep it low, Eli, let's just hit that to right field. And that's what's hurting him. And, and, and he thinks it's just still a dangerous pitch, and it's not. It's not a dangerous pitch anymore. Uh, and so that's what I think it is. And um, my final thing would be um, if Jazz was to come back, he's coming back in a couple of days. I, I don't know if you stick him at seven to see how he would react because I don't want to mess up uh, Luis and then Solaire, but it would be beautiful if Jazz can, I guess, implement what Jesus is doing, which is uh, I'll hit the ball to right field, I'll hit the ball, you know, to left field, it w- whatever um, the count. I notice um, Cooper is doing it very well where he switches his stance due to the counts and then he's able to hit the ball. Uh, or just put it in play. And Brett, Brett, Brett is doing a fantastic job working with these guys, uh, implementing uh, with two strikes. So I hope Jazz can pick up on that. And um, if he can, then that's a very dangerous Luis Jazz and then Solaire. So uh, uh, great work again, guys. Appreciate it. One thing I will note. Jazz's rehab assignment, four games. He 16 plate appearances. He only struck out one time. I know it's a lower level of competition, but Jazz, um, when he gets into his bad habits, you you don't really see stretches like that where he puts the ball in play as much as he does. So I am, yeah, I am cautiously optimistic that he's going to be a pretty big addition and that people are going to realize how much they were missing him in the first place. Even though they were winning without him, uh, he's going to make their offense better. Agreed. All right. Well, Sharif, thank you. We will. This will be our last call here. So I'm bringing Romeo and Hale at the same time. I'm officially cutting off questions. Two and a half hours. We thank you all who have stayed with us this whole time. Look at these final questions in, and uh, we'll get out of here. Um, this is not much of a. This is more of an unserious question. Even though we've had um a lot of serious questions here. Uh. What is your guys' personal favorite walkout song on the team? To the guys that have covered, I know that Eli and them haven't been able to cover when they come here. So, so does this only go to me, I guess? Oh, I well, to- that yeah. I like I like Yuli's. It's a cool song. It's one I I, I like. John Birdie's is funny because it's John Birdie, and I would have never expected that to be his walkout song. It's the. Uh, I don't know the name right now, but it's it's a pretty famous song. I think it's like, isn't it a Dr. Dre song? 
Yeah, the Dr. Dre song. It's, uh, it's still Dre, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because it's Sean Burton. You wouldn't expect it to be him. And then Yuli's, I think it's called El Vecino. That one's a great song. I like the song. That's, that's, that's that one, too. Yeah, this team has some good songs. And if you want to see all the songs, I'll put the shameless plug for Noah. Yes. Go to the walk-up article and you'll oh, be able to see every song. Yeah. Brian, <laughs> Brian's going to the walk-up song. Real, real quick, well, let's get Hamill's question in, sir. How are we doing? Hey, buddy, how are you? Yeah, actually, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a question. It was more of a, of an observation. I think today um, marked the last game we played at a consistent basis against, I would say, sub-500 teams or easier teams to beat. I think literally going forward, I counted, we got 27 series. And I know I'm getting a little bit getting ahead of myself, but still, 27 series left for the rest of the year. And out of 27, I counted five weak ones. <laughs> that means there are 22 against teams that are either over 500, killing it, for example, like Baltimore, or teams that, even though they may not be over 500, um, play as tough, like St. Louis. I only counted five weak series um, compared to the other uh, 22, which is a total of 27 series left. Anybody else concerned about that other than me? I, uh, mean, I don't think there's not much concern. You look at Miami this season, they've beat some pretty good teams. They beat lost the, the Angels when they, you know, they, they were pretty good at the time. They beat... Um, Maybe not some good teams. I know they beat Seattle. That team has a really nice pitching rotation. They took that final game against them. So it's just a matter of them playing to how they have been and hopefully the pitching going deep enough where they could keep them in these games. I mean, they basically shut down the Pirates innings one through seven. I think that was a, a tweet that Craig Mish put out today. So, you know, if the pitching could, 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 could get it done for you and the offense helps out, I mean, there should be no real reason that Miami doesn't, you know, beat these better teams, as you say. I mean, they beat Houston last year, and that, that team was way worse. So I guess that's an example you could put out. But I, I feel your concern because they, you look at, I think it's August, you have the Dodgers, you have the Houston Astros, and you have the Yankees all back-to-back-to-back. That's probably a part of the schedule where you really do have to be a little bit scared. But aside from that, I think Miami could really take on, at this point, really any team in the major leagues that is kind of at their level in terms of records. No pressure. That, that week and a no half stretch is, is as tough as it gets. I mean, even, even before yes. that, even before that, even the week before that is a road trip to Texas and to Cincy. And Cincy's been playing as good as anybody recently. That's what I'm telling you guys. I, I, I literally counted Colorado, Detroit, Washington on two occasions. And I think I forgot who the fifth team was. It's, it's like that's where it stops with uh, teams that you can say, oh, yeah, we could, we could take that series. Everybody else, it's like, oh, no, we're going to have to grind to take yeah. these games. And it's, and it's, and it's scared. This is what I'll say. Miami, Miami fares well against the division. So you have to feel pretty good when you're going up against a team like the Braves. Who you know usually might wait? Be wait, well against them. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> they fare well against the Braves. Last year they took three out of four, and they've been. They're, this team is better than last, last season. Year. This year they yes, but this the season they're better though. You can't tell me that this team isn't better than last year's. And so, and, so are, last and so are the Braves. And so are the Braves. They're not freaking juggernaut, man. Jesus. Yeah, the, the Braves are crazy. As much as I hate them, I think Miami could take them, man. I, I think they could take on any team right now. I, I think so too. But here's what I really want to emphasize, though. We we said this, and Eli's caught me doing it too. 
is you can't look too far ahead. It just it's a long season. It's a marathon. It just depends on what team is playing well at what time. Record wise, the Pirates are a solid team, but they're in the middle of a twelve for a one in twelve and thirteen game stretch. They've lost nine games in a row coming into the series or something like that. So while August is a gauntlet. It just depends on what baseball the Marlins are playing. Trade deadline. They will have reinforcements, hopefully at least. But you can't look too far ahead. They're going to have to be resilient. But this is why we also emphasize why this past stretch was so important because you got to beat up on these little teams and these very, very weak squads. And they did. But then again, you just got to take it week by week. Just look at how teams are playing, what kind of stretch. I mean, Boston's like okay record wise, but they're playing pretty good. I you gotta worry about that series next week. I mean the Cardinals suck, but they they've been better as of late and they historically have played well against the Marlins as of late. So you, you also have to look at that as well. So I wouldn't look too far ahead. If, if you look too far ahead like me, Eli got off Twitter to roast me after I said in our group chat that I went game by game and came up with 86 and 76 as our final record. But uh, th- so don't do that. But I mean, it's it's fun to look ahead and say, okay, what's happening in August and September? You know, like if the Marlins are in it, what, what's going to happen at this stretch year and blah, 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 blah. But really, just for everyone out there listening, I just I want you to just look ahead to the All-Star break and don't think too far past that. Like, anything after that Philly series, we don't know what could happen. There could be a really big injury at that time. Someone that the Marlins are playing could be injured at that time. A trade could happen. We don't know. So, I really wouldn't look past the next four series. Usually, I do about two weeks out, typically. You, and also, I, I want to mention, there's some teams that Miami could beat. I, I don't know if you mentioned the Padres. That team is playing, like, pretty damn bad. And Miami played some close games against them, if I recall, this season. And... They got I mean, blown they, out. One they got blown out in one, probably one, and the other two I believe were close. And then Phillies, they're good, but Miami I think has usually fares well, very well against the Phillies. So, I mean, I, I think Grant said best. Just don't look too far, because you never know if, uh, how a roster could change an injury. And again, I mean, the Miami Marlins have been good. There's another way to say it. They're, they're beating the teams they have to, and they're playing well against really good teams in the league. So. The roster's going to look a little different entering August. Uh, I believe that. There will be some new players. Yeah, there will. Uh, I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, Other teams' rosters can change, and the Marlins' roster can change. If they lose one of their top three starters, if at any moment Lizardo or Braxton or even Sandy go down with a significant injury, then what? Then then it's it's a drastically different team from the other teams' perspectives. So, yeah, you go a little bit at a time. You had your fingers crossed the most vulnerable parts of this roster hold up. And for the most part, they have so far. And that's how we get to where we are in the season. All right. I brought in Lab Marlins fan for one more question. I said I would cut us off here, but he is a loyal super subscriber for most of us. I made an exception. We're done after this one, but one last question. Let's hear it. Thanks, Grant. I, I just wanted to jump into that last conversation. Uh, you can't look too far ahead. And you just got to be happy with what's going on now. We're a good baseball team. We have our flaws, but we're t- we're a team that teams don't want to play as well. So just remember that and take it uh, every uh, road stand or home stand. You know, take it series by series, game by game, and you hope to win more than you lose. 
it's we're not used to this. So we look ahead and look at the Braves, look at other teams that normally are better than us. Well, we're one of the good teams this year. And as fans, enjoy it. Show up to the ballpark. Cheer for this team. Super subscribe to Tishon first because these guys deserve it. Uh, I didn't get to th- uh, congratulate Alex before on, on your partnership. That's awesome. Uh, so with that being said, everybody have a good night. Let's get louder. See you in the ballpark in uh, 10 days. That's a really good way to end that off. And, and yeah. He brings up a good point. There are teams out there that see the Marlins on their schedule and go, ah, shit, Miami's 11 games over 500. Yeah. That's no, a very good it, point. It's a team to be reckoned with now, which, which is not something we could have said the last couple of years. So it's a great point. Um, I also like the point about um, showing up to this, to this ballpark, to the ballpark, to go watch this, this team play it's fun. Um, you see people in the upper deck. That's not something we could say the last couple of years. So it's super cool that before the halfway point of the season, people are starting to show up. Go be part of that. Um, this is a fun team to be around. It's a fun group of guys. Everybody that's been here that has been around this group can tell you the same thing. Um, it's cool, man. And it's cool to see the, the winning culture start, uh, especially under a brand new first year manager. So um, now this is cool, man. And um, I'm excited for now. I'm excited for the future. Um, see what they do to, to continue to build up their young core continue continue to see what they will do to continue to build up this minor league system, which does need a little bit of help. I will agree, but there is talent here. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a fun organization right now. It's a fun time to be a fan. Chase is absolutely right. And uh, Chase, I appreciate your sentiment about the partnership. It's good to be with these guys in official capacity. So uh, yeah, man, thanks. You're always, you're always awesome. You're always cool with us. So I appreciate you. I hope people have enjoyed the space. Party's over. I'm enacting a very strict two and a half hour cap on the next space. It will not go this long. So I hope you had your fun. We're going to keep it more concise moving forward by a little bit. I'm just going to end it right here so I can walk my dog and so I can get my phone charged. We appreciate everybody. Marlins Jeopardy tomorrow night, regular series preview stream on Tuesday night. And then we'll be back with these spaces at the same time next Sunday with Grant and the rest of the staff. Go fish.